Excellent. Mr. Mayor Finkeldie, welcome to the September 21st, 2021 City Commission meeting. Before we get going, Porter O'Neill, our Communications Director, will give us some directions for this evening's meeting. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everyone. Um, I just have a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting. I want to remind everybody that this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Uh, please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to seem to be seen on the screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, you can turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The chat function for the meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Please remember to state your name each time you speak for the benefit of those participating remotely. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Finkeldye. Mayor Finkeldye, thank you, Porter. I'll now take roll call. Vice Mayor Shipley? Here. Commissioner Nanda? Here. Commissioner Lawson? Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. Mayor Finkeldye, here. And now we'll hear from Sherry Williamson, our city clerk, on the um, public comment process. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, just a few reminders, uh, commissioners and staff, please state your name and title each time you speak. Mayor, when a motion is made, please call on commissioners individually to provide their vote and announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, the mayor will first call on those participating in person. Individuals wishing to provide public comment should approach the podium following social distancing and safety protocols. Participants are required to wear a mask, but may remove their mask while making remarks at the podium. Please state your name before speaking, and your comments will be limited to three minutes. The mayor will then call on those participating virtually. Individuals providing public comment via Zoom use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name. Again, your comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you, Mayor. Mayor Fingalai, thank you, Sherry. The first item on the agenda is to approve the agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Does any commissioner wish to amend the agenda, or I look for a motion to approve? This is Commissioner Larson, and I would like to amend the agenda, please. Item C5, I would like to have more time to review the information we, we received from staff. So I would like to defer this item at this time. C5 from the consent agenda, right, Commissioner? Correct. C5A. It's the only item, but I just want to make sure that we have it out on the record. Mayor Finkeldye, is there a second? 
this is Commissioner Ananda. I'd ask what the repercussions of, of deferring it would be. May I think allow anyone from staff able to speak on that item? Yes, this is Gary Reinheimer with MSO, Senior Project Engineer. Uh, this is to authorize design of the maintenance facility. And <clears throat> it would just delay the design. The idea was uh, we don't have the complete funding to build the project. So uh, I don't see a critical issue for delaying it. Moving along, thank you. May I think lies a second to Commissioner Lawson's motion. Uh, this is Commissioner Bully. I think it's really a discussion at this point. I, I think Commissioner Larson expressed an interest in a deferral. Uh, there might be other items that other commissioners would like to bring forward as well. So um, you know, I'd, I'd wait for an actual motion myself. May I think lie? Okay, I guess I hear what you're saying. Um, does any other items which should be moved on the agenda? Typically we, you know, when we move something on the agenda, um, typically I think about moving it up and down the agenda, not deferring it off the agenda, um, as opposed to pulling it off consent then making a motion to defer. And so it's a little- This is Commissioner Bowley, you know, I'll take you back to a little history about this. Um, frankly, this is our agenda, and we have the ability to move things off of it if we choose. And I think that's what Commissioner Larson is saying. She'd like more time to study this issue. There don't seem to be any grave re repercussions, so I think we should support her in that. I don't have any other issue, uh, any other amendments I'd like to make to the agenda. Okay. Mayor Finkel, I certainly don't have an opposition to that. Um, and so, is there a motion on the agenda? This is um, this is Commissioner Larson, and I would move that we approve the agenda, agenda with the exception of item C5 on the consent agenda and move that to deferral. Ms. Commissioner Bowley, I'll second that. Mayor Fingalai, there's a motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Bully. There's no other discussion on this. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Nanda? Aye. Mayor Fingalai, aye. Passes five to zero. We'll now move on to the um, proclamations, and we have two proclamations tonight. The first one is to proclaim September 25th, 2021 as Lawrence Drive Electric Day. And I believe there's some folks present at City Hall to make a few words before I read the proclamation. Oh, Porter, are they, I see Mike Allman raising his hand. Is anyone present, Porter? Oh, um. We have a we have an individual here, but she's saying that Michael can do it. Okay, Michael, 
go ahead and say a few words before we read the proclamation. Thank you, Mayor Finkeldye. This is Michael Allman with Sustainability Action Network, and we are uh, sponsoring the third annual Lawrence Electric Vehicle Showcase this Saturday, September 25th in South Park between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Um, we actually skipped last year because of the pandemic, so we're really glad to be back. And we're going way beyond electric cars this year. We're also uh, bringing in larger commercial vehicles as well as quite a collection of electric bicycles, one of which will be Commissioner Larson's electric bicycle. Thank you, Lisa. Um, but uh, we'll have um, an electric a terminal, uh, terminal truck, truck. <laughs> a class eight electric terminal truck uh, from Orange EV in Kansas City, made right there in Kansas City. We'll also have an electric half size bus from Green Power Motors. They're from California. But here's a fun one. We'll have Lawrence Transit there with one of the new Gillig full size electric buses that we won't actually have uh, to use yet until next March, but Transit is providing it for the show this Saturday. So I hope everybody can come out and, and enjoy what the benefits are of all kinds of electric vehicles. And thank you for the, the, uh, the proclamation. Mayor Fingaldi, thank you, Michael, and looking forward to coming out and seeing that. And I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas petroleum-fueled vehicles are responsible for over 50% of our local greenhouse gas emissions, you know, a contributing factor to air pollution and climate disruption, threatening the health of our citizens and the sustainability of our planet. And whereas the United States transportation sector has surpassed the electricity generation sector in climate heating emissions, and whereas plug-in electric vehicles use one-fifth the energy used by internal combustion vehicles and get 100 miles per gallon equivalent or better, and whereas plug-in electric vehicles produce no greenhouse gas emissions when charged with renewable energy, and only one-fifth of the greenhouse gas emissions when charged with fossil fuels, and whereas September 25th to October 3rd, 2021, has been designated as the National Drive Electric Week throughout the United States to educate our citizens about the benefits of plug-in electric vehicles and to promote their adoption. Now that therefore I, Brad Finkeldye, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim September 25th, 2021 as Lawrence Drive Electric Day and encourage all citizens to attend the Lawrence Electric Vehicle Showcase at South Park between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. this Saturday. Thank you very much. Looking forward to that. Michael, thank you for all your work and your committee on getting it all set up. It'll be fun to see those vehicles. Thank you, Mayor. Mayor Finkeldye, we have a second proclamation, um, which is to proclaim October 2nd, 2021 as Lyarda Day. And I do believe some members are um, present at City Hall to say a few words before I read that proclamation. Uh, yes, Mayor. And if there's anyone else you want to, to come in, they're, they're welcome to come in. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank the city of Lawrence for this day. Happy moment for us Mexican-Americans, okay? 
my name is Pedro Romero. I am one of the few remaining survivors of La Yarda. La Yarda to me was a very fascinating place. It's where a lot of us Mexican-Americans grew up. Like I said, I think it was a very fascinating place. Um, first of all, I want to thank my sisters from out of town that came from out of town to attend this meeting. Um, I want to say that this is a very happy moment for the Mexican-American people of this community to have this chance to show up for what we think is a worthy cause. Um, I want to thank um, Lourdes, who helped put this project together, Marla, who helped putting this project together. Again, I want to thank the city of Lawrence. We have a fascinating place in La Yarda. It's a treasure out there. We need to recognize it as being out there and we got to go for it. Thank you so much. Mayor Fingalai, thank you so much for being here. And uh, let me read the, the proclamation before I say more for those who don't know much about La Yarda. And here it is. Whereas in celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, the city of Lawrence, Kansas, would like to officially recognize the cultural significance of the Mexican-American community of La Yarda that was built to house railroad workers from 1920 to 1951. And whereas located near the Kansas Carl River, the neighborhood was built by the Santa Fe Railroad to house some of the first Latino families that immigrated to Lawrence. These families worked hard, nurtured children, tended gardens, beautified their spaces with flowers, and shared food not only with their own residents, but with anyone in need passing through. While material conveniences were scarce, their appreciation for life was abundant. Whereas the city hereby recognizes that many physical and cultural contributions made by the La Yarda residents and acknowledges the racial discrimination and economic barriers they experienced as an important part of our history. Whereas while the flood of 1951 destroyed the, building of, the buildings of La Yarda, its physical foundation remains in East Lawrence to this day. Beyond these remnants, the proud history of La Yarda stands tall in traditions such as the St. John's annual fiesta and the rich cultural fabric of Lawrence's Mexican-American community. Their story will be shared in a new documentary, Searching for La Yarda. It screens on October 2nd at the Lawrence Arts Center. I believe that's at 7 p.m. Now, therefore, I, Brad Finkeldy, mayor of the city of Lawrence, to hereby proclaim October 2nd, 2021, as La Yarda Day, to honor the residents of La Yarda, both living and deceased, all of their descendants, and to thank them for the contributions to our city. And I am correct, the showing is at 7 p.m. on Saturday, October 2nd? Is that the time? That's what we're hearing, yes. Okay. 
Well, I hope everyone um, who can can make it out and, and watch that um, movie when they can and certainly learn about this um, history. Uh, I've been learned a little bit, a bit about it over time through the Mexican Fiesta at St. John's, and I look forward to learning more about it. But thank you all for being here tonight. And, and we certainly do want to recognize this and your this day and, and your commitment to our city. So thank you very much. Okay. Always the best parts of our Tuesday nights usually. <laughs> consent agenda. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion. There'll be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, the item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Would any commissioner like to pull an item off the consent agenda? Seeing none, if any member of the public would like to pull an item off the consent agenda. If you're present at City Hall, let Sherry know. You have an item on the consent agenda? Uh, speak. A comment. Um, regarding an item that's on the consent agenda? No, it's just a okay. comment. That'll be after the consent agenda, okay? okay. And your comments are of general nature, not on, okay. I can't hear everything you say. Okay. There's none in the commission room. Mayor Fingal, I thank you. And does anyone on Zoom like to pull an item off the consent agenda? If so, raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. There's no items to pull. Mayor Fingal, I seeing no items that are pulled. I look for a motion to approve the consent agenda. And we should probably note in that motion that we've I'm not including C5A, which has already been deferred. So I look for a motion. Commissioner Arson, I move to approve the consent agenda. Commissioner Boley, second. Mayor Finkel, aye. There's a motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Boley. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Boley? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Nanda? Aye. Mayor Fingal, aye, aye. Passes five to zero. That brings us now to general public comment. The public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. If any member of the public is present at City Hall and would like to make general public comments about something not on the agenda, please approach and Sherry will call upon you. And just state your name and then I'll start the clock so you'll know your time. I am Paul Baumeyer and I'm representing the nearly 500 residents of the Stahl Cemetery. These individuals were buried in solemn religious and sometimes military ceremonies. I want to show you, and I don't have it with me, the photo of nearly several mem several, 70 members of the Deer Creek German Church in 1922. Do you think these pioneers are devil worshippers? 
Many of these early settlers spent considerable blood, sweat, and tears to help make Douglas County what it is today. Future burials will be of people who contribute to the present day life and pay taxes in the county. I ask you, where is their social justice and equality? I ask you again, where is their social justice and equity? Everyone in this room knows the, this cemetery being haunted is a false statement. Yet Explorer Lawrence, Downtown Lawrence Association, Lawrence Chamber of Commerce, City of Lawrence and Douglas County say there is nothing they can do. I am sure that, that many of, of the just mentioned organizations, government departments were contacted and it was mentioned that the Masonic Temple event would be called the Stall Haunted House. I would think the religious community would be concerned with the desecration of sacred ground. Historians are charged with recording history accurately. Are there any Douglas County historians who will support the, ha the haunted cemetery as truth? Haunted houses are fun, entertaining, and, and apparently make much money. This is what this is all about. No, with making money and no regard and respect for the cemetery and the Douglas County sister community of Stahl. I would ask you to issue a proclamation strongly stating that using the name Stahl, Haunted House, and Gateway to Hell for the upcoming event is totally inappropriate and an insult to the people of the Stahl community living and deceased. And I thank you for your time. Is there anyone else who wants to provide public comment of a general nature, not on an item that's listed on the agenda? That's all the comment in the commission room. Mayor Fingal, I thank you. If any member of the public on Zoom would like to discuss an item not on the agenda, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. There's no general public comment, Mayor. Mayor Fingal, I thank you, Sherry. That brings us to the regular agenda item. Items and regular agenda item one is to consider an appeal of an administrative determination for the site plan located at 2300 Crestline Drive. And I believe we're going to consider continuing that public hearing to October 12th. But um, Randy, do you like to speak on that item? Yes. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Uh, before you tonight, this item is an appeal from a site plan approval that was granted by the Director of Planning and Development Services. A site plan under the city code is a ministerial function. It's administrative in nature. If it meets the criteria, then it is approved. And if it does not meet the criteria, then it is disapproved. There has been an appeal of that decision to you and you will step into the shoes of the planning director when it comes time and decide whether or not this site plan meets the uh, plan approvals. But do that as it may, as we go forward, there has been a request by some of the appellants to this uh, item to defer, their, not defer, but to continue this to another meeting. And we have received an open records request from at least one of the appellants and we're working on that currently it is within the discretion of the city commission to either continue it or choose not to continue it. 
If the commission does continue it, we would ask that it be at least October 12th so that we can send adequate notice to people within the city that have an interest in the property. And if you choose not to continue it, then we will proceed with the substantive nature of this case currently. So at this point in time, I would stand for questions and, you know, you may want to hear from the parties and the applicant and perhaps maybe the general public regarding just the deferral issue. That is also within your discretion. Mayor Finkeldey, um, thank you. I guess I would maybe to short circuit this, I'd ask if the um, applicant um, has an objection to a continuance to the October 12th. And I think I've seen some correspondence, but for the record, I'd ask about that. Mayor Finkeldey, this is Greg Musil of the Rouse Fretz Law Firm, 5250 West 116th Place, Leeward, Kansas. On behalf of the applicant, Fountain Residential, and uh, Trevor Collett is on the on the Zoom call again. Uh, we had indicated to staff, we'll indicate here publicly that we have no objection to the requested continuance. We do request that it be set on a specific date of October 12th, uh, as this matter has been pending for a significant amount of time. Thank you, Mayor. Mayor Fingerlai, thank you, Mr. Musil. Commissioners, um, would you like to hear more? On from any party, or is someone willing to make a motion? I believe we have a request and an approval. So, I, but commissioners, thoughts? This is Commissioner Nanda. Mayor, do we need to open the public hearing and then make the motion? Um, Mayor Finkeldy, Randy. Uh, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Just by opening the item and discussing it, we have opened it. We don't have to officially open it. We've, I think, done away with that. So it will be open, and if if you do continue it, then it will remain open until we take it up at a future date. Mayor Fingal, I thank you for that, Randy. So is there a, is there a motion then? Um, this is Commissioner Ananda. I would move that we continue the public hearing to October 12, 2021. I don't know if we need more information than that. Vice Mayor Shipley, second. Mayor Fingal, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Vice Mayor Shipley. Commissioner Ananda? Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Bowley? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. aye. Passes 5 to 0. We'll continue this item to October 12th and appreciate everyone showing up. We'll look forward to hearing, having that hearing on the 12th. Thank you. That brings us to regular agenda item number two. Um, which is to consider a proposed ordinance number 9876, which amends the long-term residential rental property ordinance and to provide direction to staff. And I assume Brian Jimenez gets to lead this off. That's correct. Good evening, Mayor, Commissioners, Brian Jimenez, uh, Code Enforcement Manager for the City of Lawrence with the Planning Development Services Department. I'll share my screen here. Everyone can see that. Um, just to give you a little uh, refresher on how we got here, um, 2014, the current long-term uh, ordinance um, was passed with an effective date, I, I believe, of January 1, 2015. So about six, uh, almost six years, seven years, we've been um, enforcing the current ordinance in its in its format. Um, you asked um, for a, a work session. We did that 
in August of 2020. Um, at that time, I provided you a presentation and summary of what we've done. And we also have done annual reports since 2015 that have been pretty detailed to um, give you um, expenditures versus revenues, uh, statistics on the number of rental licenses, inspections, violations, those sort of things. And those are all attached for your review if, if you need uh, to look at those tonight. Um, at that meeting in August of 2020, um, we talked a lot about a lot of things. Uh, the, the four items that I remember us really focusing on, and I'll go th briefly through these. Number one, we looked at the inspect, excuse me, six-year incentive inspection cycle, and we wanted to uh, discuss that in further detail. Uh, we talked about the 27 violations identified within the ordinance, and we we talked about whether those should be eliminated and replaced with similar code language that the short-term residential rental property ordinance um, currently has. Um, we really focused in on the 10% uh, ins inspection sampling, whether that was appropriate. Um, I remember there was a, a unanimous feeling among yourselves that um, that really needed to be um, further um, discussed. And we also talked about, is there, is there something we can do regarding different types of properties, single family versus multifamily, old versus new, um, regarding frequency of inspections and, and numbers and, and et cetera um, in that regard. Um, so based on that discussion and direction, um, I have several amendments that we are um, proposing tonight. Um, we aren't necessarily asking for adoption of this ordinance. Um, we under, I understand that um, this will probably bring up a, a lot of good discussion. Um, some things you may like, some things you may want stru um, struck from it or um, additional um, things that, that you might want added. So my goal tonight is to take your direction again and, and, and um, you know, make, make changes to the ordinance as you see fit and come back at a later date for approval of, of the ordinance. So let's begin. Um, I won't go into great detail on these. I'll just give you a, a summary. Regarding the incentive, the current code language, as you may recall, we have 27 standards within the ordinance. 26 of those were taken from the property maintenance code. They, they have their own wording. They're independent of the property maintenance code, but they were based out of that code. The uh, 27 standard is basically compliance with the development code. Currently, we have a inspect, inspection incentive cycle of six years. And the way a, a property owner gets that is if you have less than five violations on your inspection, you can get the incentive to six years. It is recommended that if we want to increase the number of inspections, um, we drop that down from five to three and if you remember, currently right now, if an owner gets five violations of the standards in the ordinance, five or less, but they get two or three different violations on the property maintenance code, so they could have seven, eight violations, they still get the incentive. And if you look at our annual reports um, from 2015, the way that language is set up, we are um, having anywhere from 89% to 92% of all properties inspected, they get the six-year incentive cycle. The end result of that is the first three years of the implementation of the current ordinance, we did more inspections. 
Well, those people in the first year, they didn't have a fourth year because they got the incentive. So it's really created a downturn in 17 and 18 and 19 uh, before the pandemic hit. So our recommendation is to, is to reduce it. Um, some may say if 92% of the um, properties are getting um, an, an incentive of six years, it, you know, it, the, the current language may need to be revised. Second item is section 6-13C inspections. Um, this is where it says we should inspect 10% of a renter owner's portfolio, not to exceed 15 total. Um, a simple way to increase the number of inspections being completed is that you increase the sampling size. Um, I um, increased that to 20% not to exceed 25 total dwelling units. Um, that would basically double the number of inspections occurring. And I'll, I'll give you some um, simple math that we can all um, determine very easily. We have about 20,000 properties licensed, give or take, sometimes higher, sometimes lower, it fluctuates. So 10% is 2,000 units. If you spread that over three years, I have two inspection staff, um, it's very doable inspections per year. If we increase it to 20%, we're looking at 4,000 of the 20,000 units, divide that by three years in the inspection cycle, um, splitting them out, not trying to do them all at once. We're looking at about 1,300 inspections, um, divide that per year, divide that by two, uh, about six, uh, 660, 670 inspections per inspector. That does not include re-inspections, which occur a lot of the time if there's a violation. So I personally think if we did consider a 20% to that increase, um, we could uh, most likely do that with current staffing and not need any additional staff. Um, subject to change if we look at things down the road and we determine otherwise. Section 6-13C1, that basically states uh, what I just referred to. Um, it says five right now, 10%. I recommend three violations per dwelling unit. And the code does give us the, uh, the opportunity to do additional 10% currently as, as that code language um, states in 6-13C1. So I've increased the inspection uh, violation, decreased them from five to three, increased the sampling size from 10 to 20, and I increased the not to exceed from 15 to 25. Um, this, co this code change proposal is one that I came up on my own and looking at how can we get older units inspected. Um, currently the language says new construction or major reconstruction. Um, major reconstruction is basically um, a house that's been gutted, got a building permit, all the necessary building inspections have been completed. There was a occupancy um, permit um, provided. Basically, they're building to the current code standards today. The current code says, if you're within six years of final occupancy inspection, um, you're exempt. Um, I suggest that that exemption be extended to 10 years. Um, my reasoning behind that is outlined in the narrative. Um, I believe these units if there was an apartment building finaled out today by building inspectors, 
that building, those dwelling units um, comply to the most stringent building code, plumbing code, mechanical code, electrical code. So basically it's the highest standard of construction that our city has at this point. I think extending that out to 10 years um, would be um, easily done. Um, it would help us focus in on, on units that are older um, in an owner's rental portfolio. Section 6-1314A, violations. I won't go over this in detail because we've talked about it so many times. Um, 27 standards are there. I'm, I am recommending simply changing that language. The violations will be out of the property maintenance code and that will eliminate the need for inspection staff to cite from two different sets of code requirements, reducing staff's time to complete inspections. And also really importantly, um, they don't have two inspection reports, they have one, and property owners or property managers aren't, aren't confused. Um, right now, staff will inspect under the 27 standards. They will also inspect under the property maintenance code. It's, it's kind of goofy and staff will give a property owner two inspection results, reports, and then they, the owner and property manager will work to, to you know, to um, remediate those violations. With this change, it would mirror exactly what you approved last year under the short-term ordinance. So it makes sense to me that those are identical. The only difference is one is a short-term, 30 days or less, the other is a long-term. Continuing, continuing on, uh, section 6-1314B violations. Um, the code language just says where strict compliance with foregoing standards are not possible. Uh, the code officials shall have the authority and discretion where possible to grant alternative compliance. Um, the proposed language, I won't read through all that, but that's exactly um, what the uh, short-term rental ordinance is. So we, I recommend that, that those two ordinances, um, that code section match up. Section 6-1304, rental licenses. Um, we didn't speak much about this, but this is uh, a section I proposed after reviewing the ordinance. Um, we believe that the fee structure shall be uniform for all property owners and should be based on how many units you have. If you recall, we have four guidelines in the rental fee schedule. Basically, the most you pay is $17 if you have a certain number of units. Then it goes down to 16, then 15, then 14. I, I just selected 15 because it kind of makes sense. Um, so some people would increase one. If you're an owner that has a lot of properties and you're paying in the $14 range fee schedule, you would be 15 and there would be a reduction for some people as well. Um, one of the main reasons also here is under our current code enforcement tracking software, um, this is really cumbersome for staff because they often have to manipulate the system on a daily basis as you, can, as you can imagine during new properties getting licensed or those renewals every year, over 6,000 licenses a portion of those have to be manually manipulated by our administrative technician staff to make the fee schedule work out right. So when we send those um, renewal um, notices out, um, the, all the numbers add up and they are correct. So those are the proposed amendments in rather 
rather short summary. Um, it streamlines things for us, I think. It does make things more um, stringent regarding the incentive. Um, it exempts the construction, major reconstruction for a longer period of time. It streamlines the violations cited inspection process. And although they don't um, specifically regulate or separate out certain types of um, zoning, multifamily versus single family, I think overall, it does get us to more units being inspected. Um, I will say that um, I think this is important to note, since 2015 on our annual reports, we have about three plus violations cited out of the ordinance. We then have about anywhere from two to two and a half violations cited out of the pro property maintenance code. So we average five to six violations per unit that we've inspected since 2015. So that gives you a good baseline to think about. Anywhere from five to six total violations on average per dwelling unit inspected. So if we kept it at five violations, um, we would still probably be getting quite a few people that get the six year incentive. If we reduced it down um, based on uh, five years of inspection data, um, a lot of people would not be getting the incentive. And it's important to um, discuss, um, I didn't rewrite the whole ordinance as you guys can see. I simply took things that I thought were relevant that could be changed and made sense. Um, obviously, we don't need an incentive cycle if you feel that that's not warranted. We could just go to a simple every three-year inspection cycle. Obviously, that would get way more units inspected. That type of scenario, we're probably looking at adding additional staff. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, the thing about rental ordinances throughout the country, if you look at 20 different cities, you're probably going to find 20 different ordinances. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no specific guideline you follow. Um, the, every city has it differently. Um, I will tell you this, our, our fee schedule per dwelling unit is at the extreme low level compared to other cities. Uh, I know affordable housing is a big topic right now and it will continue to be. So I think keeping our fee schedule somewhere in that range is probably appropriate what we're trying to accomplish. Um, it's also important to note that during those annual reports, um, we've given a really good breakdown of revenues versus expenditures. And there was no exact science when we decided the fee schedule because we didn't know how many units we were going to get licensed. We didn't know how many people would get inspections. And we've come pretty, we've really come a long ways of getting those numbers to, to get really close to matching each other. This program will never be perfect as far as expenditures versus revenues. There's too many moving variables there. Um, properties go off the program, they come on the program. Um, some of those, some of those uh, revenues are, are based on the number of inspections we do. So if we do more inspections, there'll be higher revenue there. Um, so if, if, some of these recommendations are approved and further down the road, I really think it's probably gonna take a couple years for us to fully understand the, the fiscal impact to, to the program um, because we don't know. We don't know what the final um, product will look like, but um, I'm confident um, we won't see extremes one way or the other. Um, that, that would be my hope. Um, and then one thing about 
looking at um, certain types of areas. Um, if we're averaging about five to six violations, that statistic doesn't show that we have an extreme, you know, variance in violations cited. It's pretty consistent every year. Um, and we did talk about doing something like that very similar in 2013 before the ordinance was adopted. And, and um, Randy can op, um, comment on this. Um, you know, we have to be very careful when we start trying to do different criteria for different types of uh, dwelling units and so forth, because it, it, it could potentially um, be a slippery slope. Um, and um, so if, if that's something that you want us to dive, dive much deeper in, um, our current software doesn't have that ability right now. We would, we would have to see if we could get additional information and probably get some other people involved with the GIS and see what we, we could um, give you down the road as far as data. Um, so that's my presentation. Um, you have the ordinance marked with edits, you have the clean version, um, and I'll stand for questions at this point. I think a lot. Thank you, Brian. Um, questions for Brian? Hi, Mayor Shipley. Um, you uh, kind of just—I I think the question I'm going to ask you discussed a little bit later, but I just want to be sure I uh, understand the balance. I think you're trying to strike. So, in the first recommendation here, the incentive. Uh, to drop the number of violations from five to three. Um, and so my initial question might be, well, why not change the number of years from six to three or whatever? And I feel like you mentioned that a little later. Um, do you think you could kind of discuss that uh, contrast or that balance I think you might be trying to reach there? Well, right now, everyone is on a three-year cycle initially. So depending on how their inspections go, if they get those five violations of the 27 standards, which we're recommending to go away, they automatically get put on that six-year cycle. Um, one may say if there's 90% of the people getting the inspect, you know, the incentive cycle, maybe the uh, test is too easy. That's one way to look at it. If no one's getting it, maybe the test is too hard. Um, so. Um, I think we, I think if we keep an incentive in, this is my opinion, that we want it for properties that have minimal violations. Um, I think, I would hope you would agree with me at, at this time, based on how we have it, it, it's not, it's rewarding everyone pretty much based on how the ordinance is written. And I don't think that was the intentions. Um, that's where we landed, you know, eight years ago when we, when we, we drafted it. And, you know, we had no idea what that would mean, but, um, you know, an option is getting rid of the incentive. Um, but, you know, I personally think it, it would be a good thing if it was changed a little bit um, from what it is right now. Uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, again, uh, a different um, item. I think it refers more to the uh, you're talking about the age of the units and the 10 years. Um, what if um, uh, one of the newer units gets a complaint? What if, I don't know, they're in a floodplain and they get mold? Something from, something from the maintenance code 
and well, complaint. How how does that play out? Sure, great question. Um, it, it happens today. Um, you know, weird things happen. Um, um, I won't give the address of the property, but we had a relatively new apartment complex, um, and for whatever reason, the water heater went out, and it, they it, they had no hot water. So um, we went and and facilitated the, the the fixing of that water heater. It's important to remember that any tenant that has control of, of a property, they have the opportunity to call us at any time to come out and inspect. So um, there, I think there's some language in the in the code that talks about the incentive. If I can find it real quick. I might not have included it in my narrative. It might be in the ordinance itself. Oh, there it is. If you look under 6-1312, the last sentence, such exemption shall not apply to any inspection as the result of a complaint with the exempted period. Vice Mayor Shipley, great, thank you. Yes, thank you for saying that. I do, but I do also wanna say, I mean, what if a landlord gets a spate of complaints? Um, you know, you've got 100 units and 50 people call you. Um, they're still, they've got 10 years. Now what? Do we... Uh, of, a, of a newer newer apartment complex? Yeah, who knows? Um, <laughs> well, first I can say that's never happened in my in, in my um, memory. Mayor, um, Brian, just make sure you announce yourself every time. Oh, I apologize. Uh, Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager. Um, Commissioner Shipley, I, I don't think that's happened. Um, or Vice Mayor Shipley, I don't think that's happened. Um, but if it did, we would, um, much like a lot of things we do, we would have to review the process and what, and what you know, what type of violation is it? Um, you know, we've had, um, we have had multiple tenants and, and apartment buildings call us for various um, um, code violations. Sometimes they talk to each other. They get they get um, our our number, our name, and they call us. And you know, um, worst case scenarios, we we well we inspect them all. But you know, we we've um, it hasn't happened very often. But we've condemned um, a building or two since we, I've been doing this. Um, now those are not your new construction properties because, you know, they're built to the highest standards. And I think it's important to remember they are built to code compliance with everything we're looking for. Um, the only thing that we've um, added to the code, um, in the last three or four years is carbon monoxide detectors, uh, which is a good addition. So, um, those are required, um, so it, a new property, you know, say it's five years old, unless it's been really um, abused by the tenants or just, you know, just not maintained at all, um, I would expect those inspections to, to um, not have many issues. Um, now things happen, right? Um, property owner, I mean, excuse me, tenants remove smoke detectors. Um, things go bad. Um, you know, we may have a, um, a furnace or water here put in without a permit and not be installed correctly. Um, you know, one of one of the reasons we have such high numbers of smoke smoke detector violations is because, you know, the code only requires them in locations. They don't require them to obviously be hardwired. 
So if you aren't, if you live in an older dwelling unit that doesn't have hardwire smoke detection, um, those can disappear very easily. Um, I think everyone's probably been in the kitchen at some point and things got out of the hand and the smoke detector goes off and the easiest thing to do is remove the battery or take it down and it never gets put up and it gets lost. Um, but um, I, I think um, I think your scenario would probably be very rare. Thanks, Mary Shipley. I appreciate that. Um, I do want to say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, my recollection was when you did add, when the city did add carbon monoxide detectors, I, my, my recollection was that even on the year you weren't being inspected, they put a little informational uh, pamphlet in there that that was something being added. Um, again, I could be wrong, uh, but um, I thought that was really um, forward thinking and helpful. I mean, if you're a good landlord, then you'll that'll be something that goes on your list and you'll go around trying to get them in your units. So um, I, I did wanna say, I, uh, assuming I'm not wrong, that I appreciate that uh, effort. Uh, Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager. Um, if my memory serves me correct, we put that in renewals to let people know that was that was coming in a few months. Um, it's also important to um, highlight that when we do these inspections, if an owner or property manager wants to do them relatively quickly, we will we will grant that wish if our schedule permits. But usually, there's a you know a week or maybe even sometimes longer um, between when they schedule to when we complete it. And you know we have a top ten list that we provide. And, you know, we have some really um, good landlords that pay attention to things. They, a lot of them sometimes bring smoke detectors with them or whether, you know, a carbon monoxide, just in case we cite that because they know that can easily happen. And if they bring it and install it while we're, we're there, it's not a violation. So um, there is the opportunity for an owner to do a pre-inspection of their unit because they know which ones we're doing. Um, to, to, you know, increase the likelihood that, you know, they would get the incentive. Mayor Finkeldai, Vice Mayor, other questions at the moment? Other, Commissioner Lawson looks like maybe? Yeah, I just have one question right now anyway. Um, when I'm looking at section 6 dash um, 1310C1, which is um, the inspections. And the proposed amendment to that is, let me get back, I just lost it here on my computer. Um, the proposed amendment, hang on, sorry about that, I lost it. There it is. So the proposed amendment is that, um, C1, I hit the wrong button as usual, um, is that uh, there's a potential for increased number of inspections. Is that correct? Um, if there's violations, if there's more than three violations, then there's a potential for more dwelling units to be inspected. Is that correct? Yes. Based, uh, Commissioner Larson, based on our stats for the last five years, um, the average number, I think, if we if we reduced it to three based on those numbers, there would be more inspections. It, well, it, there would be more inspections because there would be less property owners getting the six-year incentive. Okay. 
So what I'm seeing as far as a specific language is for that proposed amendment is that um, I'll just read this here. It says if more than three violations per dwelling unit are discovered on premises or in dwelling units inspected, then the code official may, upon not less than 72 hours prior written notice, inspect an additional 20%. So the wording there, the word may, does that um, indicate the possibility that you're not going to do additional inspections? Well, uh, Brian Heeman is code enforcement manager. If my memory serves me right, we, we put that, and that language is um, identical, except for the, the numbers have been increased. Um, I think we put that language in there uh, during the initial adoption to address where we go into a prop to an owner's sampling, and we have a high number of, of violations in each each unit. Um, but I think I'll let Randy comment on the May part, but I, I, the way we've always interpreted it is that gives us the ability when we have properties that have a high number of violations to request an additional sampling of additional units. Okay. Commissioner Larson, yes. So uh, my concern with that word may um, is the fact that it, it's at your discretion. And, um, and I don't know if that opens the door for potential not applying equally across the board to all um, landlords. So, so that's my concern. And, and maybe you can kind of clarify that for me or not, that that could potentially happen. Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager. I completely understand your concern on that language. What I can say, um, we have maybe utilized that once or twice in situations where um, we went into the same number of units in an apartment building and there was the same exact violation in, in a lot of them. And we, um, we, uh, we requested to do more inspections. In fact, I'll give you a real life example of this. Um, we went into a not so old apartment building and did their sampling. And um, there was a, a combustion air, makeup air for the mechanical room, the furnace and water heater, you need air replacing the air be taken out or the, the, the bad result is you could have carbon monoxide back building through the vent. And we did every unit had the same problem and we couldn't figure out how this happened um, through the, you know, the new construction building inspection that happened however many years ago. And what we did in that situation, Commissioner Larson, is we, we, uh, re we requested a plan of action to fix that violation in every dwelling unit on that complex. That's, that's the extreme example. And they did get a plan. Now, that's a big fix, right? So I can't remember how many dwelling units we were talking about, but it was a, it was a big number. So um, we, we asked them to submit a plan of action to us that would correct that violation in every unit because um, that's a life safety issue. Um, we don't want anyone, and this was probably before the carbon monoxide detector requirement. So that, that property um, fixed that violation in every, every unit. Everything like Randy, did you want to answer that May question? Yes, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. When that when the term May came into being, at that time we were not sure exactly where that program was going to go. 
whether or not we were going to be able to actually do all the inspections that were going to be required. And it was, a, you know, kind of a new program. So we were a little bit conservative and a little bit hesitant to make it mandatory. The extent we were overwhelmed with inspections and couldn't actually get to doing those things. We didn't want to require something by the city code that we weren't actually going to do. So that was the basis for the, the discretionary may. Now it's not discretionary, it's just may. So that can be changed if, if that was at the will of the city commission, but that's the, that's the basis for that may. This is Commissioner Buller. I'm gonna follow up on Commissioner Larson's question. Um, if you do an inspection and then you find uh, violations that lead you to do additional inspections, um, what do you do if you find additional violations in those? Do you continue with the inspection program of another 10% or 15% or whatever it is? Or do you just say, well, we've done what we can do? Uh, Brian Eman is code enforcement manager. Um, great question. Um, the one that stands out to me is the one I just described where um, we, we, we didn't even do the next percentage. We just, um, they, they sort of admitted to us that, that that violation that we cited was in each unit. And so we, we made them do the entire complex. I, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know if we did the additional units and then we did additional more. Um, I, I don't, you know, we wouldn't have that information in the system to pull I'm pretty confident. Well, the one example demonstrates we did do the whole complex um, based on that one violation that we found. Um, and if we do and just a, not the whole complex, um, we we've probably have not continued on down that road, but I can't say how many times we've extended that inspection process in that situation. Mr. Commissioner Bowling. So if you have a very non-compliant property, and you then expand to the next property or next properties, and they're very non-compliant. I'm not talking about the same violation, but just a series of violations. Will you continue with that through this percentages, or will you just do the first one and then expand to the next sample and then say, well, that's what we are able to do? Uh, Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager. Um, I think it, I, th I think Commissioner Bully, I think it would, would, um, it'd be based on what did we find in that next sampling were things, you know, were the things improved? If things were improved, we would probably call it good and stop. If, if we saw different violations, but it was a high number, um, you know, and, and we have really, you know, legitimate concerns. Um, I think we would do more now, you know, with that being said, um, the way it's written and a good point by Commissioner Larson, it says may, um, you know, we could, you know, it's possible we could be challenged by a landlord saying, you know, are you, are you targeting me? Why are you, you know, you did, you did these and you did an additional 10% and I was good. And why are you requesting, you know, to do another 10%? So uh, we haven't, we've used that code section very, um, appropriately and not overreached in that regard. Um, but it would really come down to um, what type of violations are we finding um, and go from there. 
you know, if, for example, we, we, we cite each smoke detector violation as one violation because it really shows in true, true measuring, in my opinion, that if you, if you go into a house and there's five smoke detectors required and there's none and you cite that as one violation, that doesn't show the true, true um, condition and life safety issue of that property. So in that situation, there would be five violations right there. Now that's that's the extreme. We usually find at least one or two, but as as the as the reports show, um, excuse me, um, that that violation is very prevalent in our inspections. Which um, you know, smoke detectors save lives. True, not you know, not because of the fire. Most people um, perish in fires because smoke inhalation and they they can't get out. So. Um, in that situation, if we weren't, if we were finding smoke detectors absent in every structure, um, we are not going to stop and just say, "Oh, you know, you're good." Um, we're going to we're going to do additional. So, in that case, in spite of the limitation of percentages and the number of units, you might do 100% of a landlord's units. You might do inspections on 100%. Yeah, correct. The example I gave, uh, Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager. The example I gave to Commissioner Larson, um, um, you know. Combustion air, um, you know, people die of carbon monoxide. Sometimes you hear about it throughout various parts of the country. And a lot of times it's inappropriate venting. So in that situation, um, you know, staff brought it back to me, and this has been several years ago, so I might not remember everything correctly, but as I recall, um, that was deemed a, an a, a immediate life safety issue, and we uh, got a plan that they need to fix that violation in every unit. Did you, this Commissioner Roy, did you charge them for inspections for each unit? Um, I, I can't say yes did or no. You, did you thing. actually perform inspections of each unit? Um, I don't think we actually performed these inspections. I think what we did was we got something in writing from them and verificate it. And, and we might've looked at some other ones to do a spot check but I, I can't say, um, I can't say, I don't think we charge an inspection for every unit after this, that. This Commissioner Bully, what I'm trying to point out is I think there's a difference between agreeing on a plan of action and agreeing and, and actually doing more inspections. And, and I think that needs to be um, considered here. Anything? Any other questions before we open it to public comment? Excuse me, Mayor. This is Commissioner Bully. Randy had his hand up again. Oh, thank you. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. When this section was originally drafted, the purpose was to, you know, although at the same time we didn't know exactly how this was going to go because so we left in the word may, but there was the potential where it would be an inspection if they did not pass and we had to do more inspections that ultimately we could get to the point where we inspected every single property a, a, a landlord had. That was the intent of this. So I just wanted to make that clear. And I think Brian did echo that, that they've done that on a number of occasions, hasn't arisen that often, but that is the purpose of this section. That's how it was drafted. This Commissioner Rowley, thank you for that clarification, Randy. Mayor Finley, thank you as well. Edo Questions before I open it to public comment? Seeing none, we'll go ahead. If any member of the public is present at City Hall and would like to speak on this item, 
please let Sherry know. Uh, Mayor, there's no one present. Mayor Fingalai, that's helpful. Um, if any member of the public on Zoom would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature or just raise your hand like Senator Francisco just did and Sherry will call upon you um, in the order that they appear on the screen. Chris Flowers. Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers. And one of my first questions I'd, is, um, well, any, if, well, also, I'm just not sure, are we inspecting people's apartments regardless if they or the landlord wants it? I'm, I'm under the assumption that's gonna be allowed under this, that if someone's apartment, if it's time for them to get inspected, they have no choice in the matter. So one of my first questions is, will anything illegal found during an inspection be reported to the police? Like let's say they find marijuana or they find drugs or maybe needles or something, um, or maybe uh, like an, an elite, an exotic animal of some sort that's not allowed under city code. Is any of that going to be reported to police? Um, and the other thing I, I really want to know is what kind of public outreach has the city done with renters? Like if we're going to be trying to save renters from, from bad, um, from bad property, shouldn't we at least be getting the renters' opinions about what their priorities are? Like, do we know if if renters value their safety more than they value their privacy? Like, how? What what kind of public outreach has the city done? And didn't the city just hire some? Or I mean, they were going to some some kind of community engagement coordinator or something like that. Um, so that's something I definitely think we need to be going, like trying to do outreach at. And not just like Lawrence listens, I'd like the city to reach out to like college, like places that rent to college students, like the legends or the reserves or any of these, these big places. Um, I, I don't think the city has done outreach with renters and I've read in the article that over over half of the city is our renters. And how are you going to not go out and get the, what the renters, what their priorities are? Because I don't want the government coming and doing an inspection in my apartment. I, I just don't want that. I can't speak for all renters, but I know I'll, I work with others and they don't like that idea either. So if that's part of the idea, like if that's part of this plan, I, I want to see some kind of thing where renters have said that that they're OK with that and they they value their safety more than their, their privacy. So just want to throw that out there. Thank you. Marcy Francisco. Good evening, and um, Mayor Marcy Francisco, um, Mayor Finkeldi, Vice Mayor Shipley's, and City Commissioners Ananda, Bolay, and Larson. Thank you so much for your consideration of these changes to the long-term uh, rental property ordinance. My husband and I are owners of several rental properties that have gone through the city's inspection process. We have found the process to be straightforward and the staff to be both knowledgeable and helpful. 
So I wanted to let you know that I'm in support of the proposed changes to the ordinance that have been proposed by staff. I support reducing the number of violations to receive incentive inspection cycles, increasing the sampling size, the increase of additional inspections if more than three violations are found, and the increase in the exemption for new construction or major reconstruction from six to 10 years. I also agree that it makes sense to eliminate the 27 code violations. However, I hope that the city will continue not only to have kind of a top 10 list, but maintain a list of general code compliance requirements to help property owners understand the scope of the inspections. My husband and I don't have a lot of properties, so we're already paying the $17 per unit. So I'm leaving that change um, in fees for others to address. But I am uh, taking this opportunity to ask you as um, commission members to consider um, some other changes to our rental registration requirements. One of those would be to require accommodation for trash pickup, especially in those areas served by trash dumpsters. So your rental um, requirements say that you meet city code, but in fact, chapter nine of our city code um, has a number of exemptions that say, unless such dwelling unit is in an area served by a trash dumpster. So in fact, um, the only reference I found um, for those areas served by trash dumpsters would be to require the property owner to clean up the area. I'll oh, say you went on mute there. Did I? Okay. I'm <laughs> unfortunately using my hands. So where should I back up to? You were um, just talking about the trash, what you found in the code about. Okay, uh, about chapter nine. So chapter nine really doesn't um, trash dumpsters require things for areas served by trash dumpsters. Um, it just references cleaning up that area. Um, so I think that, or I'm asking you to ask the staff I'm to see if requirements for trash collection might appropriately be made through rental licensing. So this could help not only um, require um, and have appropriate areas, but also make conditions suitable for our sanitation workers. You know, that you. there should be a hard surface. It should be flat. Um, the we could talk about if the neighborhood wants it to be screened. Thank you, Marcy. So I have two other quick things. Um, one, um, in the definition of a dwelling unit, it says a dwelling unit is a unit um, with two rooms that has only one kitchen. Um, what happens if there's more than one kitchen? Um, what happens to that dwelling unit? And I'm asking this because there's a property on the 1000 block of Ohio that was advertised as having two kitchens. So what rules does that property fall under? 
And then on the real quick on the last one, Mosi. I'm sorry. Real quick on the last one. You're over your three minutes. Okay. The last one was um, talking about if the owner has a local address, it says he or she. And I'm thinking we could avoid gender concerns if we just repeat the owner. Thank you. Other speakers on this item? Candace Davis. Do you want to ask if she wanted to speak on this item? Is there anyone else who would like to speak on this item? Okay, Candace Davis. Are we muted? Mayor, can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. You seem to be Candace, coming. Can you, can you unmute? Okay, got it. Um, yeah, my name is Candace Davis. I appreciate um, you having this review is there tonight. Else you would like to speak on this? Can item? You, okay. Can Candace you hear me? Davis. Can you hear me? Ms. Commissioner Anna, I think she has a delay. Yeah, can you hear me? I can Candace, hear you. Candace, do you have the YouTube on? If you have YouTube on, you need to turn that no, off. No, the mute. Unmuted. I'm unmuted. Okay, try it again. Can you um, hear me? Yeah, my name is Candace Davis. I appreciate um, you having this review tonight. Can you hear me? Gosh, can you hear me? Ms. Commissioner, Anna, I think she has a delay. What is the delay? I wonder if this is recording or something. If you have YouTube on, you need to turn that off. I don't know. Unmuted. <laughs> I'm unmuted. Okay, try it again. Wait a can second. you hear me? Yeah, my name is Candace Davis. Oh, God. Mayor Pickle, I can't. Do you have any other volume on? Turn it off. Do you have a TV on or the speaker on your phone? Can you hear me? Ms. Commissioner, I think she has a delay. What is the delay? I wonder if this is recorded. Mayor Fingalai, I do not know. <laughs> We've heard the same thing several times. I'm not sure what that is. Um, Candace, if, make sure there's no other sound coming from your computer or your TV or anything else. And then maybe try one more time. Now you still need it. Can you hear? Sound coming from your computer or your still on delay TV or anything else? I I don't think there is. Is this working Let me now? Try one more time. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's working. Hey. No, you still need it. I'm not muted. <laughs> well, that's us repeating ourselves in your ear. I'm not sure why that is happening, Candace. So. <laughs> okay. Um, Bordeaux, or does anyone have any idea what why we're getting that repetition? Uh, I, I don't think there is. 
Is this working now? Um, Mayor, I don't know what's going on. Um, I, one suggestion might be to have Candace call in. Um, hang on, let me find. Uh, Candace, can you call in if I give you a phone number? Um, it is Mayor Finkley, okay, Candace, you can call in. We'll get you on. While she's calling in, is anyone? Is there any other speaker on this item? Sherry Reedman, City Clerk, and no one else has indicated they have comments for this. Thank you. Thank you. And then Mayor Finkley, so. And Candace calls in. Can you let us know? Yes, Mayor. Looks like she's doing it now. You. Here we go. Does that work? Does that work? Does that work? Ooh, this is complicated. Okay, I, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you reviewing this ordinance. And I want you to know, I mean, this was originally approved in 2012. But as I wrote the other um, commissioners, we've been working on this for five years before that. So we have been asking. It works for me. So we have been asking for an update and a review for a number of years. Mayor Finkley, we can hear you. Keep going, Candace. Okay. Um, and the other thing is, <laughs> Tom Marcus had, <laughs> okay, the former city manager noted how unproductive and weak this ordinance was. So we were hoping to have it updated. In reference to uh, Chris's comments about talking to renters, I, I think he's late for the game because this has been going on for 12 years. 
So there was plenty of opportunity along those the way in 12 years to come through and have a discussion from landlords, from renters on this topic. That's all I'll say. I totally support this. I thank Brian Jimenez for working so hard on this, and I appreciate it. That's all. Thank you. Mayor Finkelai and Candace, thanks for sticking with us there on the through the computer issues. So we appreciate that. Okay, we will bring it back to the commission since there's no further public comment for discussion. Vice Mayor Shipley, I did just want to clarify uh, for uh, one of Chris Flowers' questions about permission from renters to come in. I wanted to be sure Brian had a chance to respond to that. Thank you. Sure. Uh, Brian, Randy looks like he wants to respond first. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Under the Fourth Amendment, we cannot enter anybody's private property, including rental properties, without a warrant or an exception to a warrant. And the exception that we get is we get written consent from the tenant before we do enter any type of a property other than in the case where there is something where it's a life safety or there's exigent circumstances or something of that nature. So we do not just barge in and it's not required and we have to obtain consent of the tenant before we do any of the inspections. Mayor Finkelstein. Brian, did you have anything to add to that? But that seemed pretty straightforward. <laughs> Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager. Just one thing I'd like to expand on. Um, as Randy said, it's written. Um, we have that written consent form um, almost every time before we complete the inspection or, or arrive at the inspection. If we don't get it before the inspection, we request that the uh, form is provided to us at that time. Um, if we have any doubt that there, you know, the uh, tenant may not know about it, um, we simply do not go in. And we've had great success with that. Um, um, previously, way back in the day when we first started, it was always verbal consent. Um, we changed things up in 2014 and we did the uh, written consent and um, that forms very clear in, 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 in that regard. Mayor Finkelai, other questions or comments? I might follow up with um, Mossy's question about um, the trash um, pickup and area. Is that something that is looked at or something you could see being added? Uh, Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager. Uh, Mayor Finkelai, is that directed towards me? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, well, Marcy did call me yesterday and we spoke about this and she wanted to give me a, head, a heads up. Um, so I um, I did know a little bit about it previous to Marcy's phone call. Um, I personally don't think it's a widespread problem. Um, and, I, and I told Marcy that. And, and I know there's a, a one example up there that is a problem right now. Um, I personally... I don't know what that would look like if we put something in the ordinance. Um, you know, are we going to ask everyone that we go look at? Do you? I mean, we know single family and duplex. Um, they have the the cards. Um, 
and then I, I know, I, I believe MS, I don't know if anyone is attending um, on the MSO's part tonight, but I believe um, they obviously require the dumpsters up in the Orient neighborhood in the alleys. And it's my understanding that there's a lot of shared use of those dumpsters. So it might be located somewhere in the alley and then like two or three properties for years have just put the trash in there. Um, could we do something? Yes. Um, um, do I want that to happen? I'm not sure. Um, I, I think it might fall in, I think it may need to fall in MSO's lap um, since they're the one that has the policies and procedures on that. And they may actually be looking at this in, in greater detail, but I, I don't have that information. Uh, Mike Lawless, Deputy Director for MSO. Um, and yes, this is uh, something that we've been looking at with uh, dumpsters and, and there are a fair number of locations where there are either shared dumpsters um, in alleyways um, and there, I, I don't know, there isn't like a designated spot. So the alley is only 16 foot wide. And in order to get a trash dumpster on there, I believe that in most instances, those trash dumpsters dumpsters reside on um, private property. And so um, as long as that, at the time that that dumpster was placed there, there was consent for that item. Recently, we've had a, a situation where a property's changed hands, where that dumpster was located and the new property owner does not wish that dumpster to be there. Um, and so we're now looking at where can we place a dumpster and if we can't find a place to put the dumpster, then we'll end up with um, lots of trash carts in the area. So that makes for a much more crowded, congested alleyway and or um, a, uh, um, um, it, it takes longer to collect that trash. So certainly with a dumpster, we can pick that up a lot quicker and easier than we can say uh, a number of dish, a, a number of different um, um, trash carts. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of these have been there for quite some time. Um, and, you know, I think it's something that we need to figure out how to address, whether that be through um, a site plan or, you know, something like that. I, I, I think we're just starting to, to, you know, this is kind of that first um, one that's come up and, and, but I understand there's more of those. And so, you know, we're looking at how are we going to be able to handle those? I don't know if that answers your question. That just sort of outlines the issue that we have. I don't know that there's a solution um, to this issue yet or what that solution will be, but um, we are certainly aware of it. And, and it's something that we're, I'm trying to figure out how we're going to address. Mayor Fingalai, thank you for that. I think it addresses my question. I understand, um, you know, the issue before us tonight will be if we try to add something to the inspection code to make this part of the inspection. And um, I guess my initial reaction listening to those two answers is to leave that in the hands of MSO, not as part of the inspection process, but obviously we can talk about that. But let me ask, one other question that Marcy brought up, and Randy, this might be for you. The question was, the definition section has a dwelling unit in it, and the dwelling unit is defined as having only one kitchen. 
any concern with some of our congregate living or other places that have more than one kitchen? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Typically, if it has two kitchens, we typically treat it as two dwelling units. Now, this might be actually a better question for Jeff Crick, the planning director. They, <laughs> they uh, have a little more hands-on experience with, with this than me. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Um, make sure I understand the question in, in full. Was if a, if a unit has two kitchens, how does it is it constitute a, a certain land use? Is that correct, Mayor Finkel? I think the question was under the under this inspection code, we define a dwelling unit to include a place with one kitchen, among other things. And but is that different from how we define a dwelling unit in the in the development code? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. The Land Development Code actually goes through quite a number of definitions depending on which type you go into. Um, congregate living is typically comprised of more than four unrelated, potentially being in a, in a structure that would have a common kitchen or multiple common kitchens in some instances. So it can be, um, it can take a couple of different forms, but typically, you would see a, a bathroom and a kitchen in combination to comprise a dwelling unit in, in most contexts. I, I can think of some instances where a house may have a, a upstairs kitchen and a kitchenette downstairs or something like that. That wouldn't constitute two units because it wouldn't have that same item, but it would be, it's a lot about the construction and the configuration of the space that comes into those definitions and how they get applied. May I think that? Okay, I think that's helpful, I guess. You know, I, I guess maybe if we'll, you know, looking at this and bringing it back, I could see the question, you know, for example, 6-1303 says, no owner shall rent a dwelling unit located in a residential property within the city unless blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we have a dwelling unit defined in a certain way. So we might just check with that to make sure we're consistent across the board. It probably works out, but something worth looking at. Mayor Fingley, okay, back to the commission for questions, comments, thoughts. This is Commissioner Larson. I would like to have staff consider the that wording may versus shall um, in that one um, 6-1310C1 and, and bring back some information on what the ramifications are for changing that or how that would impact um, uh, this ordinance as a whole. Mr. Commissioner Bully, I, I like the work that's gone into this. I'm supportive of most of it. Um, I will say I have concerns about raising the um, inspections from 10% to 20%. Um, I, I think the focus needs to be not on inspection so much, but on compliance. You know, what our goal is, is compliance with the property maintenance code. Inspections are a way to achieve compliance. And inspections of compliant property are not particularly productive. I think we have scarce uh, compliance resources. I think it's really important to focus those compliance resources on non-compliance. So I, I support inspections, but I think we have to realize that the goal is compliance with the property code. Thanks.
Mayor Finkel, I guess I would jump in and say I, I, I do think these changes um, we're talking about are heading in the right direction. Um, and certainly like the change on the, you know, the incentive, I think if 92% of the people are getting the incentive, it's probably a little, little bit on the, on the high side. And I think um, reducing that down would be helpful as well as the, the move to the property maintenance code um, and, and, the, and the rest of the changes. You know, I, I think I'm fine with that. Um, and including the fee change that's being suggested. I, I hear what Commissioner Bowley is saying about the, you know, the 20, 10 to 20%. Um, I guess, you know, I do, um, I like the idea of more inspections, as he said, I guess, as, as you bring this back to us, if there's analysis that you think, you know, Brian, that doing these additional inspections would make it harder to keep up on some of the other duties and respond to complaints. And, you know, I, I can see what Commissioner Bully is saying there. So I guess I'd want a little more analysis on that. But generally speaking, I think trying to get a higher number of units inspected is, is probably a, a good goal here. So otherwise, I think this is a good, uh, a good move uh, moving forward. So I support the changes. This is Commissioner Nell. It looks like um, Brian would like to say something and then I'll go. Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager. Thanks, Commissioner Ananda. Um, regarding compliance, um, I think it's important to remember um, the, the, the goal is to next inspection cycle of a, a renter's portfolio is inspect units that haven't been inspected before. So we get more sampling done, right? We, we want to get in as many units as possible. Um, to me, there's ways to get compliance with the ordinance. First and foremost, you have to you have to register your properties. You have to pay the fees per dwelling unit. Secondly, you have to renew your licenses annually. Thirdly, you have to do some type of inspection with this based on whatever sampling we we, we fall on. We don't know who's compliant or not, or I mean, we don't know who's going to be compliant on that inspection until we do it. Um, you know, there's times where we inspect something newer that surprisingly has violations. You know, not every not every old house has multiple violations. I mean, there's a lot of good landlords out here that have old properties that are in really good shape. There's a lot of good landlords. But I, I guess my point is there's no way for us to know if the next round of properties are going to be comp uh, compliant until we do the inspection. And then we, we give them the notice. And then we expect compliance with, with correcting the violation. So our goal through the inspection is whether they have one violation of five or six or seven is to get compliance with that, with that property maintenance code as, as we move forward. This is Commissioner Bullock. Brian, yes. I appreciate your perspective, but you know, I think that our goal is compliance with the property maintenance code, whether or not the properties are being inspected. Okay. That's got to be our goal. We want all the properties to be compliant with the property maintenance code. We're not going to expect all the properties, but we want all of the properties to be compliant with the property maintenance code. The question is, how do we achieve that? And if you can't tell with 10% whether or not there's compliance, then maybe there's a problem there.
This is Commissioner Ananda. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. Um, I guess that I don't know. I I wasn't intending to talk to this dialogue, but um, how we would know if those properties are compliant if we haven't seen them and they haven't been built and inspected by the city. Um, so I just I don't know how they're how they're taken apart. I guess um, to what Commissioner Bully is saying, um, and and what. Um, Brian's saying, but um, what I wanted to say <laughs> was that um, I'm really excited that we're looking at this and I'm also hearing, you know, this is what we put together um, because we didn't have anything and every city has something different. Um, sorry, my cat is freaking out. <laughs> um, I, uh, I think that there is an opportunity here. You know, I think that the commission talked about this a little bit, and I'm guessing with Brian's experience, um, maybe there are other things that are of interest to him um, or that, that he's receiving from folks. So I, I would like to see this come back to us. I think we're all excited about that. And I'm wondering, you know, if in that meantime, um, if there are things that perhaps didn't rise to the surface for us or, you know, that we just don't have the experience to um, kind of point out within the code that we could bring those back as well. You know, um, the, the dumpsters is a good example. I don't know that that's the thing, right? Like we talked about that going to MSO, but um, if there are things like that, I would be open to um, including that in the dialogue. Um, in addition to kind of the priorities that we've set out. So thanks for your work on this. Um, I know it's been a long time coming. Uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, yes, I am, I'm extremely excited to see this come back. And I, I think there are strong recommendations and um, perhaps a little bit to Commissioner Ananda's point. Um, one thing, uh, the thing I get the most complaints about, and particularly recently, is about mold. Well, that's in the maintenance code. So we have that conversation about the definition of the five by five square that's often quoted. We're going to have to have that conversation, um, I gather, with planning. And that's not the conversation we're having right now. And I wonder if that's some of the issues that Commissioner Ananda hears about also from um, people. Um, but I would be remiss and not mentioning it since it is the number one thing I get asked about. Um, and um, I feel like in the past, Brian has, has somewhat addressed that, um, knowing what they do and don't see when they're out there doing inspections. Um, but, but to the point of what we're talking about right now, I'm, I'm very happy with the suggestions that Brian is making. And I think, again, um, more inspections will bring more units into compliance. Um, and I think that's what's really important here. Mayor Finkeldye, any other direction to give Brian tonight on staff? Brian, anything we left unclear for you? You got some direction to move forward? Uh, Code Enforcement Manager Brian Jimenez, as I will continue my um, ways of asking you for clarification, um, I see looking at the definition of dwelling unit, um, 
Marcy would like us to eliminate the he or she on the on uh, the resident agent part of the code. Um, Commissioner Larson would like us to look at the may versus shall language. Um, I'm not sure where we're at on the percentages of sampling. Does everyone want us to look at something different there? Or um, so I maybe want some clarification on that. This is Commissioner Boley. I'd like some suggestions on how you can focus compliance efforts on the worst non-compliance. Okay, Commissioner Boley, and when you say the worst non-compliance, are you talking about, are you talking the whole spectrum, people that aren't licensed, people that get violations during inspection? Um, I'm just trying to narrow that down a little bit. Well, I think that, you know, it would be interesting to have an idea of what worst non-compliance is. But I think if there are rental properties that are in terrible shape, that's where we need to focus our compliance resources. And if there are landlords that have one house or one apartment, one dwelling unit that's in terrible shape, and they have others that we need to really follow up with them on, on their properties. So, I mean, I think my understanding is, is that there are many, many properties that are compliant. There are many properties that are nearly compliant. And there are some properties that are clearly non-compliant. Those are the properties that people complain about, but they not everybody's willing to complain about their landlord. So I think we need to identify you know, the worst non-compliance and focus our compliance resources there. Commissioner Bully, this is Commissioner Ananda. Would that look something like if you have seven or more um, violations in an inspection, then like more of their property would be inspected? This Commissioner Bully, I'm open to that. I mean, I, I think we need to address the worst properties. Um, and, and how to do that, I don't know. I mean, but I think it's up to planning staff to suggest this is a way to focus our resources in the most meaningful way to gain compliance and, and have a positive impact on compliance in, in the whole community. Uh, Code Enforcement Manager Brian Jimenez, um, I, I'm thinking about what Commissioner Nanda said and I think I can work with that. Uh, it might be easiest if we're giving incentive for properties with fewer violations, then why don't we um, focus in on properties that have more violations and then maybe provide a number. And then, um, cause I don't know if we have the data capability to look at properties that we've inspected and break it down. But if we clearly articulate or identify a number in the code that says you got this many violations, here's what we're going to do. Um, that might be the way to go. Um, so, um, I appreciate the comments. Um, that gives me direct, um, clarification and, and I think that's something um, we can work with. Commissioner Larson, it's, it seems to me that if we look at that language that I was talking about, that those who are the have the most violations or the consistently or habitual violators that by using the word shall in there, then we're actually going to be uh, inspecting more of their properties, the more violations we continue to find. So I think that that change in language would help us target those who who are habitual violators. 
or potential habitual violators? Uh, Brian Jimenez, code enforcement manager. I like that idea because we can change the language there and maybe identify the number of violations and then change made to shall. Yeah. Or um, we'll work on that. I think we I think we can do something with that. Mayor Finkelai, sounds like you got clarification and direction. Any other final comments? Thank you, Brian, for your work on this and all the staff and continue, let's continue to make moves forward. Looks like we have one more regular agenda item. Don't know how long it'll take, but maybe- Vice Mayor Shibley, um, not to be the person that always asks, but when should we expect to hear from staff again on this item? Mayor Finkel, I always a, a good question from Vice Mayor Shipley. Time frame, Brian? Uh, Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager. Well, I, I, I can pledge that it's going to be much quicker this time. Um, <laughs> I will, um, I, I can probably get it back in October. Um, I mean, most of the legwork has been done. Um, there's not a lot of changes to be done. So um, I don't know the third, I don't have my calendar, but maybe third week of October, if that's, if that sounds right, I might be cutting myself short if something else comes up, but definitely, definitely by, you know, in the next two months. Mayor Finkel, I thank you for that. Mr. Bullock, I don't want you to miss out on the inspections just so you can bring this back to us. Okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> the way, the way it's written is, is effective date would be January 1 of 2022. Mm -hmm. So if we get it back sometime then before then that would give us, you know, the adoption first ring and second ring and we would, we would have time. I'll, I'll shoot for last part of um, November. Mayor Fickle, I thank you for that. Okay. That moves us to regular agenda item number three, which is to consider approving a thir third quarter budget adjustment. Yes, good, e good evening, Mayor, Commissioners, Danielle Bushcutter, uh, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, I'm going to share my screen here quick and walk through the third quarter budget adjustment item that is um, on the agenda this evening. Um, as you will recall, um, we adopted in 2021 a placeholder budget. Um, and so as such, we have been bringing forward quarterly budget adjustments uh, anticipate doing this in the future as well, um, but uh, have been bringing these uh, to you. So this is uh, the third quarter adjustment uh, for your consideration here this evening. Um, and really the goal and the intent is to keep you and the public informed about things that have changed um, over the last quarter related to our budget. Um, fortunately, this go around many of these items you all have seen previously and have taken action on. Um, so this is more of a culmination of what has happened over the last several months than it is um, new information. So with those items, I will try to go through those um, at a little higher detail since you all have already taken action and this is really just um, kind of capturing that. So uh, we have fewer places we need to go to uh, kind of look at what some of those changes are. Um, so with that, uh, we will start here with the general fund. So as a reminder, we kind of break these out by fund. Um, and starting with the general fund. Um, so this first item is related to the Burroughs Creek Splash Park uh, project. 
Uh, this was presented to you all back in June. Um, this project is really um, coming to you um, in this process to really make sure that we are aligning our capital improvement plan projects um, in our capital projects fund and our maintenance projects and our operating fund and making sure that we're doing all of the appropriate accounting to get those into the right place. So there were several moving pieces related to this project. I am happy to go into detail, um, but at a high level, that, that's really the intent of um, this cleanup that you're seeing here. So this impacted the general fund that you're seeing, our infrastructure sales tax fund, and our capital projects fund, just to get everything, um, to get all of the funding aligned appropriately, and to get all of those projects in the right home um, with, with that Burroughs Creek uh, splash park, and reallocating um, that uh, dollar set aside for the 27th Street expansion. Um, so with that, I will kind of move over to uh, the airport fund. So there was action taken back in June related to how we are going to utilize CARES Act funding. We had kind of highlighted this as an upcoming item in quarter one and quarter two. And now that we actually have those uh, numbers in front of us uh, and you all have taken action on that, this is the quarter three adjustment where we um, are able to identify the dollars related to that CARES Act funding uh, and that project that uh, those dollars are gonna go towards uh, supporting. Um, Again, infrastructure sales tax and capital projects fund. These, these first uh, two paragraphs are really related to that Burroughs Creek project. Um, so I will pass over those. Um, the next item under the, the capital projects fund is related to our enterprise resource planning system. Uh, so last week you heard from Jeremy Wilmoth, our finance director about the financing plan related to that project. Um, and it was moving those dollars up into 2021 um, to get that, that financing moving forward. Um, some of the action items related to this were on uh, consent agenda earlier today, um, and a couple more items will be coming forward to you, um, we're expecting, uh, at the October 5th meeting. Now moving uh, to one of the items that you have not yet seen related to the water and wastewater fund, as well as our solid waste fund. Um, so in uh, fiscal year 2021, the billing operations for all of our utilities, water, wastewater, solid waste, and storm water uh, were centralized as a function under the utility billing division, which is a division within the finance department. Um, while the staff were centralized in terms of a work group, um, the staff that were funded out of the water and sewer fund remained in the water and sewer fund and the staff funded out of the solid waste fund remained in the solid waste fund. Um, and it, number of uh, hours have been dedicated over the, the last year to um, cross-training um, to really um, get all of our staff up to speed um, so that uh, the different functions kind of know what the other is doing. Um, and we, we get that good training um, across those two different work groups so they can really function as one coherent uh, unit. Um, however, with that, um, there were some additional dollars that were needed um, for some temporary help uh, to help uh, facilitate some of those cross-training activities. Um, and we had a vacant position um, for most of uh, the current year in our solid waste fund. Uh, and so what we are proposing here uh, is to essentially use that savings that we had from that vacant, vacant position uh, and transfer that to the water and wastewater fund so we can utilize those dollars uh, to uh, provide some temporary help while we continue 
um, filling that position and getting all of those employees cross-trained um, and, and up to speed. Um, so that is um, a new item for you um, this evening uh, that is included in this third quarter budget adjustment. Um, moving over to the miscellaneous state grant fund. Uh, these are two items. Oh, this The first item is not an item that you um, have seen previously either necessarily, but you will see um, here in some of the upcoming agendas. Um, so the city was awarded $1,075,000 in federal fund exchange proceeds in 2021. Um, initially with our budget, we were anticipating about $900,000 of proceeds. So we received more federal fund exchange um, dollars than we were expecting. Um, and the recommendation um, in the fiscal year 2021 CIP capital improvement plan um, was to utilize those dollars for um, the uh, 23rd Street from Haskell Bridge to East City Limit Project. However, uh, we don't actually anticipate starting that project uh, really until 2022. Um, and so we are recommending uh, revising um, how those proceeds are being utilized for 2021. Uh, to help cover some of the overages that we have been experiencing um, with some of the other uh, projects that are underway. So you can see the breakdown there, some of it going towards the 19th Street uh, reconstruction project from Harper to O'Connell Drive, some of it going towards the Santa Fe Depot uh, parking lot repair, and some of it going towards the Lawrence Loop from Peterson to Michigan. Um, so each of these, like I mentioned, is anticipated to go over budget. Um, there is still, if you do the math, a little bit of um, funding um, still remaining. Um, and right now the recommendation is um, to not allocate that yet um, and wait to see if we have other projects that are also experiencing overages um, and use this, these dollars uh, for those projects. Um, and if we don't see any, that is great news and uh, we can reallocate that in future years. Um, the other item that is impacting the state, uh, the miscellaneous state grant fund um, is the um, item that you all took up a couple weeks ago related to signing an agreement with KDOT for uh, that mobility planner. This is an item you saw in the 2022 budget, uh, but there is um, a net impact for uh, the current year of, of 29,000 for that grant funded position. And then the final item, um, being presented to you this evening is related to our administrative services fund. Uh, and this is a request for an increase of $11,000 for part-time salaries in the city manager's office. And this is to uh, continue an internship program for the remainder of the year. Um, and as this is an internal service pro, uh, fund, those costs will be disseminated across all of our operating funds. So that is a high level overview um, of the third quarter budget adjustment process. Um, I would be happy to answer any questions that uh, anyone may have. Mayor Finkelvai, thank you, Danielle. Questions for Danielle on this adjustment? Commissioner Larson, I just have one question and that's about the um, miscellaneous state grant fund. So we're reallocating those monies to the various projects that you listed. So how are we going to um, pay for the the 23rd Street Bridge from, or street from Haskell Bridge to, to the East City Limits, how will that be paid for in 2022? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, we modified the 2022 through 2026 capital improvement plan 
um, knowing that that project was not going to get underway until 2022. Um, so it's utilizing some additional uh, debt and we reduced some of the debt capacity from the farmland project to make up that difference. So that the total debt is um, the same over the um, um, five-year window. So it's really just moving out the debt related to the farmland project until we know a little bit more about um, the, the scope related to uh, what we get back from that study. So it's, it's reallocating some of those resources. Okay. Ms. Commissioner Bowling, Danielle, do we have turn back money on that project? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, uh, Budget and Strategic Initiatives uh, Administrator. I would have to look at that project specifically, Commissioner Boley. I don't know that offhand, but I can certainly take a look. Mayor Fingal, I have other questions? Seeing none, this is a public hearing item. Any member of the public which would like to speak on this item? I, I believe nobody's at City Hall, so if you're online, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature, and Sherry will call upon you. There's no public comment on this item. Mayor Finkel, I thank you. I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion or motions. Well, this Commissioner Boley, um, I support the budget adjustment. Uh, this was a placeholder budget, and uh, these are changes that we have made, and now we need to uh, bring the budget up to date. For the most part, that's what we're doing. And I'll move that we approve the third quarter budget adjustment as presented. Sure, not a Commissioner. second. Oh, sorry, Commissioner Larson. Mayor Fingal, there's a motion by Commissioner Bully, a second by Commissioner Nanda. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Commissioner Nanda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Mayor Fingal, aye. Passes five to zero. Um, let's go ahead and take a 10-minute break to 7.58, and then we'll return with the work session items. 7.58, thank you. Welcome back from our short break. I'll go ahead and take roll call. The Vice Mayor Shipley? Here. Commissioner Nanda? Here. Commissioner Lawson? Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. Mayor Finkelai here. Um, that is all present and accounted for. We're now going to move on to the work session. A work session provides an opportunity for the city commission to discuss items in greater detail. As a general practice, the commission will not make decisions on items presented during this time. Rather, they'll refer the items to staff for follow-up if necessary. Work session topics are eligible for live public comment. Each person will be limited to three minutes. And we have one work session item tonight which is to receive a riverfront and center concept presentation. And I, maybe Steve, are you kicking this off? Yes, I would be happy to do that. Thanks, Brad. Uh, good evening, everyone. I am Steve Evans, and um, we want to thank the mayor and commissioners for inviting us to be part of this work session. 
And special thanks could probably go to a lot of people, uh, but we really want to thank Vice Mayor Shipley for suggesting that we uh, make this presentation live into the city commission. And um, we had a meeting back in February with several staff folks. Uh, I think there were 15 people or so. And um, we're encouraged to keep dreaming and moving this ahead. And Mark Hecker was um, assigned to join us along the way. And he's participated in several uh, small, large meetings with us. And um, it'd be uh, remiss not to thank Mark for his input into the process. And I know I'm going to miss some people here. Uh, we checked in with Diane from time to time. And uh, with her smiling face, she was always encouraging us to keep imagining and uh, moving this ahead. So many thanks to Diane and many other folks we've, um, we've had the privilege to be with. I want to introduce quickly our Riverfront and Center team, which includes Chris Tilden, Mike Myers, and Michael Allman. And I think most people in the community are familiar with these three folks uh, through their involvement over the, over the years in many community activities. Kent Williams and Sue Joy Dar uh, are relative, relatively new to the community, although Kent has lived in the Pinckney neighborhood for a couple of years and before that in Jefferson County. Sue Joy's firm has locations in Calcutta, Austin, and Wichita. And Kent and Sue Joy have collaborated over the years on many built projects. I'm going to pass the baton to Kent here in a moment, and he'll take us through the presentation uh, that Kent and Sue Joy's firm have produced over the last several months. I must say, too, that Michael and Chris and Mike have all provided very, very valuable input along the way, and their fingerprints are all over what you'll see this evening. Um, just a little, a little quick history. Uh, the five of us got together about a year ago uh, with the intent of just talking about how can we make it easier to get across the bridges uh, to North Lawrence and from North Lawrence. We met around City Hall and started walking the area. And, and we like to say the bell rang when we looked around and uh, looked at all of the culture that literally spans the past, present, and future in our community. Certainly, we wanted to figure out a way to finish the loop from the Santa Fe Depot to Constant Park but we quickly decided it would be fun and valuable to the city if we explored some concepts for looking at the area holistically. And uh, so this pro bono effort started, I think it's been about a year and here we are. Um, I've been part of the Lawrence community as a student and I returned about 10 years ago. And I, I probably couldn't count the number of times I've heard uh, in discussions or in uh, various documents that have been created for the city, how important it is for a connection between the city and the river. And I 
I think that um, when we give when we give this some thought and think about our call commons project, we think it really does that by providing the why and let's call that culture and the how, which we can call infrastructure while connecting the community and its many elements, including the call in North Lawrence. Um, I, I haven't seen, perhaps it's out there somewhere, substantial thought that's given to this idea of how and why you make these connections. Um, I also like to, to ask everybody, if you come back and look at this presentation later, take a very close look at page three. That includes sections for overview and process, along with opportunities and approach. And we certainly want to finish the downtown loop, but we want to do that while making sure the trails are placed with respect to the cultural opportunities that the community envisions for this area. In other words, we, we really want the culture to be the driver for what's happening around here and what could happen. Uh, we're all professionals. We clearly understand that projects of this scope and magnitude aren't going to be accomplished with normal city funding. Um, I, I don't think I've seen a line item on the five-year CIP recently, <laughs> although we'd love to have it snuck in there. But um, we do. I mean, this is going to have to be accomplished with um, public and private funding, with contributions. And our group is really dedicated to help make that happen. And maybe we can discuss that and get some feedback from, from everyone during Q&A. Um, it's really difficult um, to place a label on what Kent Williams does professionally. And, he, and the works he has completed. He's an artist and he's an architect and his work is very unique in both worlds. And um, I'm really happy to pass the baton to Kent, my friend. And um, I hope you all enjoy this. And we look forward to hearing your questions and comments at the end. So enjoy. Thank you, Steve. Good morning, Mayor, and or good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. I just stepped outside into the twilight moments ago. Thanks for taking that break. It was just beautiful outside. Um, all right, may I, may I share my screen? Okay, can everyone see this? Yes. Thank you. Okay, so what we're sharing here, some of you have seen before. Um, this has evolved quite a bit over the last several months. The core, uh, I don't want to restate what Steve said, but the, the core tenants here are about connections and taking stock in all of the host of assets that exist in this area. We've distilled that to being an exploration and connections to the river, the Lawrence Loop, downtown, green spaces and parks, North Lawrence, uh, the community and culture at large, both past, present and our future trajectory. 
This slide simply shows how our study area is represented here on the right square and how that area of study fits into the larger city map and the loop map. And thanks to so many people for what we've discovered and what we're building upon here and learning from, especially uh, Friends of the Lawrence Trails and all those that have worked so hard to, to build this loop infrastructure. So what's interesting about this slide, I won't go into the fine grain. Uh, this is the page Steve suggested you look at um, in more detail and in your own time. But this image at the top is interesting in that that's a view of, of the river looking downstream, looking east. Its margins, its uh, contiguous edges are public spaces. But one thing that's really special, that river is in fact a public space as well. Only three rivers in the state of Kansas have that designation as public asset. The Kansas River, the Arkansas River, and the small segment of the Missouri that defines our northeastern state border. So when we start thinking of the river as a true commons, it becomes a different point of purchase from which we can evaluate what our real assets are. This is a short list of, or an ongoing growing list of people that we've shared with to date. And this slide is um, pretty much what Steve just covered, who the Riverfront and Center team is. And then this image shows the converse view, this is the upriver view, the wonderful trail asset that is Bircham Park and the loop trail and park trail connecting here on up to the boathouse. So now we're gonna jump to a sketch of, this is sort of a, an overview, a collection of this what if or set of what if studies that, that we've undertaken. What this slide really shows is how this study area has three distinct parts. If you define the below dam area as one, the area between the twin bridges, the twin vehicular and pedestrian bridges that are existing today, that includes Robinson Park, as a second area. And thirdly, the up dam or western segment that includes the Constant Park, Bircham Park, Green Space Meadow assets and the Becalmed River environment. And I'd also encourage you to go down and walk all, all of this area. It's, it's so built out below the dam with the promenade, which is a latent asset, to the very contrasting open space asset that is the park space above the dam. This slide shows that same study area in a little different way. We're looking at this from floating over downtown and all these colored pathways indicate potential pathway solutions that are technically feasible. One footnote that's appropriate to mention item 18 at the bottom of the screen shows an important 
connection between Robinson Park and downtown proper spanning 6th Street. That pathway would require um, elevated vertical circulation, whereas all the other pathways we've shown do not require that, nor do they require landing, so they're all handicap accessible. And you get a fluid, continuous floating sidewalk with a maximum 1 to 20 slope, which is our threshold of what you can do to ensure you have ADA accessibility and fluidity. We're not, we're not suggesting that all of these pathways be a part of an ideal build-out. If, if financing and resources were in place that could do this, we would still say this isn't necessary to do all of this. This simply shows a, a pool of feasible options. And in this case, we're showing actually four possible dedicated bike ped bridges across the river. Um, and we don't need that many. But which ones are the, the best? Which ones are the optimum combination considering all the things that are going on and are in the works in this area right now? Um, the six X's in the orange bubbles that exist on this feasibility study index point out what we all sort of probably know and or uh, tolerate and or take for granted to some degree. And those are the, the, the conflicts that happen when infrastructure um, overlays human function. These are fantastic bridge assets um, in place now, the highway bridge assets, yet they, they preclude the, the safe flow of humans um, under and through to Robinson Park. Uh, the train tracks is another fantastic infrastructural asset, but it creates a conflict when pedestrians are trying to cross. So we address these conflicts, these edges, and in the case of pro the promenade, uh, this dead end, uh, with a variety of interventions that are sort of indexed here. And now we'll go through a little more deeply and look at the, the benefits of each one. So this starts with the river as our core. The Cobb River heritage is, is a wealth of tradition and information that, we're, that we simply, um, we have limited access to that and we would like to maximize access to that river heritage, both through physical access to the river, connecting downtown to it and looping the loop, as we like to say. And as we've been studying here, we're, we're so encouraged by the works of people before us and concurrent. Kerry uh, Altenberg and his group, Community Remembrance Project Coalition, have been working diligently to create tribute to significant elements in our past that we need to recognize and learn from, even though they're um, part of our dark history. How do we do that and turn that, that dark knowledge into an absolute value positive? How do we celebrate that in a way that commemorates it in earnest? Next, next we have the Inzuje Wahobe, the Shunganunga Boulder, um, between the rock and a hard place. This, this is such a fantastic and encouraging effort, the extraordinary efforts uh, 
that that Dave Lowenstein and the Pauline Sharp uh, are sharing with this community right now is a poignant example of addressing our cultural problems in ways that will have beautiful and profound solutions. The third item we're recognizing as a cultural driver here, uh, forgive me, I just need to let my cat help for a second. We have the ravines that were sanctuaries in the time of the raids on Lawrence. Uh, the one we're pointing out here in the meadow is the watershed known as Jayhawk Watershed. That, um, in the time of early Lawrence, that ravine was not a controlled waterway. It was a natural waterway. People took refuge there and avoided um, tragic ends. There's another sanctuary just upriver that's the windmill watershed and water crossing that has a beautiful pedestrian bridge crossing the Birchland Park Trail. How do we let these cultural narratives and others start driving the infrastructural opportunities? Pardon me, I need to move this bar out of the way. So the blue bubbles show a host of other assets, and I won't go into detail, but certainly the hydroelectric asset of the dam and the new powerhouse and the old 1920s powerhouse are, are fantastic assets, also worth celebrating, as is Abe and Jake's and the new improvements that are happening there. There, there are so many important elements that we are engaging and working with. This slide shows what happens if we approach this as a simple set of phased opportunities, where we're not worried in the short term about crossing the river with a significant piece of bridge infrastructure. What if our phase one opportunity is really about looping the loop and connecting to downtown? and addressing some of these primary conflict areas where we can continue creating a flow and connection to the river. This diagram, again, shows how we might approach a phase one solution. This, what we call the old powerhouse path, is actually a new path that flows over the dam and around the old powerhouse, connecting directly from Birchen Park Trail over the ravine in the eastern meadow, or sorry, the western meadow, up over the dam, and then it swings around and flies over and then connects to the promenade at the Riverfront Mall, unending the current dead-end scenario of that and re-engaging that asset. We call this segment the Oxbow. And the Oxbow Overlook. This is the oldest path in the, in the realm of what we, we've been studying. Uh, Mike Myers hand surveyed this 10 years ago, determined there was enough grade change that you could do an Oxbow path connection under both bridges, therefore avoiding vehicular pedestrian conflict 
and accessing the park. The Meadow Helix Path, shown here in the robin's egg blue, directly addresses the grade separation necessity of getting pedestrians and bikers safely over the train tracks with zero conflict. The reason for the spiral is it compacts that elevation change that's required to get safely up and over the trains without having a linear bridge basically filling the majority of the green park and open space of the meadow. So this is the phase one. Really, it's three paths. Pass A, old powerhouse, B being the oxbow path, and C, the meadow helix. So this is really where we're starting to look now, breaking this down into a cost matrix, um, breaking this down into how the technical and the aesthetic can find a balance so that we're not just building pathways, we're building works of infrastructural art that have a narrative that is unique to Lawrence, that actually demonstrate what we value as culture. And I'm so encouraged by the efforts that are already, already happening. I'm encouraged by the relationship that Lawrence has with its indigenous people and, and Haskell All Nations University. It's a perfect time to improve our infrastructure and have an intellectual conversation unashamedly that addresses these cultural challenges that are before us in this point in time. Really, they're, they are challenges, but moreover, they're just such significant opportunities. So we have a couple other slides we're gonna look at and then we're gonna wrap up. I know it's been a long night. We can uh, certainly cover anything further in Q&A if you'd like, but first, this is what we call the phase one plus. It could be two, but this is really beyond. How do we address the below dam area where the river is dynamic, where there are recreational infrastructural plans on the books that will be happening in the next few years? How do we ensure that that downtown connection is fluid, safe, efficient, fun, how it's a destination? This shows a more dynamic crossing for a more dynamic part of the river where we exploit the views, where we create view decks aligned with long sunrises and moonrises. And as we mentioned earlier, this shows how we tie into the, the promenade, where the promenade path becomes connected fluidly with the old powerhouse path and onto the helix or the bypass of the helix to Bircham Park. This shows the above dam view and the open space. Again, this shows a downtown connection. We're showing um, a placeholder here. This could be a, a skywalk. It could be an entry feature. It could be a welcoming device and certainly a problem solver from transit's point of view. And, and this is something I, it's, it's not unusual that Lawrence is disconnected from its river. Many cities west of the Mississippi have this same scenario. Historically, when the river didn't prove to be a, a transport corridor, cities said, well, I guess we'll not use it commercially. 
um, and the back was turned in the beginning to the river. That being said, the asset of the dam was a huge boon, um, yet the dynamic of how the, the river's edges are built and limit access is an old problem. It's not a new problem. So here we have another view showing the train flyover or the meadow helix that connects the oxbow. And then on this side of the river, our, our phase plus caw crossing encounters the river in an absolutely and profoundly different way than if you're taking the bridge below the dam. This is placid water. Your views and the reflections are, are more literally reflective. There's an opportunity for pause and calmness in great contrast to the common area below the dam. And again, pointing out the pathway connections that this view demonstrates back to the meadow helix and the old powerhouse path through the meadow. So that's it in a nutshell. I would really uh, like to thank everyone for their time and um, we'd be happy to respond to any questions. Mayor Finkelai, thank you, Kent and Steve, for that presentation and all the work you guys have put into it. And I know there's a lot of work to be done, but let's open it up to questions for uh, by commissioners. Vice Mayor Shipley, um, you don't speak. Uh, you didn't speak too much to this, but. Um, uh, one thing that's interesting is some things that are completely impossible and some things that are perhaps interesting um, problem solving is ways to get from the, the loop, uh, to get the loop past, uh, between, behind City Hall. Um, and I, I know you, it seems like your group's done quite a bit of um, research there. For example, maybe it would be by the tracks. That seems less likely. Could you mention a little bit about those uh, couple of um, items you've researched? Thank you. I'm referring to perhaps number 16 here or uh, 15, maybe, I think, are the numbers I'm looking for. 14. Did we lose Kent? Did we? Kent, Kent somehow got kicked out of the meeting, but he's on his way back. I'm back. That was, can you hear me? Yes. Sorry, that was <laughs> timely to jump off as soon as I said thank you. <laughs> okay. um, so, Vice Mayor Shibley, did you, you, did you hear any of that, Kent? I'm sorry, I did not. Okay, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the loop connection ideas, um, which I think on this page eight of 15 is like 14, 15, 16, some of the different ideas to get between uh, City Hall or to, to make some of those connections, because there's some interesting features there I wondered if you could discuss what is logical or not logical there. Yes. 
Um, great question. Um, number 14 is really the existing service road corridor that's adjacent to the train tracks um, between the train tracks and the row of buildings. That is in fact, uh, you know, it's physically there. It's, it's possible to, to bike or walk down that if you have, you know, a bike that can handle um, an unprepared surface. We, we really put that on there because it's been a part of conversation historically. Um, it has, I would call it uh, serious issues in it being a, a feasible solution due to its adjacency and, and probable uh, conflict with, with railroad controlled right of way. Um, and that being said, even if we could overcome that, the, those challenges, uh, that corridor is, um, has other issues, both acoustically and, and relative to appropriate widths to achieve the sort of connections that, um, that, are, that we feel are appropriate in an area where more is going to be happening on some of these pathways than, than just a closure of a bike and ped loop thoroughfare. Um, 15 is what we call the city hall pathway, which stitches neatly between the east edge of the yellow oxbow and the parking garage and we love those um, repurposed grain elevator retaining walls that are a feature between City Hall and the train tracks. That's just a wonderful example of, of adaptive reuse of infrastructure. Um, so that's um, an aesthetic asset and a technical asset in place that, that Path 15, City Hall pathway would, would benefit from. Then when 15 becomes 16, what we're proposing as feasible is a shared reuse of the questionably or arguably uh, underutilized lower deck of the parking garage where a reconfiguration could take place and we would invest a number of parking spaces to become bike ped thoroughfare connecting through the lower deck of the parking garage and then porting out of the east side of the parking garage and connecting onto the Santa Fe Depot uh, nodes. Um, let's see, that's 14, 15, and 16. Um, are there others you'd like me to uh, elaborate on? No, Vice Mayor Shipley, no, thank you. That's what I was asking. Okay, thanks for your question. This is Commissioner Larson, and um, I just want to comment that there has definitely been a lot of creativity applied to this um, this idea, and it's a very interesting concept. Um, has there been any thought to how something like this would be paid for? Well, yes, we haven't gone too far down that path, but that's that's among our very next steps. Uh, as Steve mentioned earlier, public-private uh, would be essential. Um, 
we have a few uh, grants, grant opportunities that we're reviewing now that are almost shockingly aligned in terms of their, their target objectives with what I think we're demonstrating as solutions to meet those types of target objectives. Um, so that whole resource raising um, uh, will require people with skills um, more specific in that realm than ours, uh, but we've begun some of those conversations. And we, we certainly wanna make sure that moving in that direction, we have the appropriate structure, both on the private and municipal side, so that that effort um, is appropriate and um, starts off uh, on the right foot. Yeah, I would I would add um, um, Lisa to that to Kent's reply that I think it's critical to kind of get our arms around what makes sense in terms of the loop and the culture. And uh, I know I've listened to conversations you all have had about, okay, we do have CIP funding for parts of the loop. So when we do that, let's make sure that that respects more or less an, a, a master plan for the area, which may literally take years to accomplish. But along the way, if we can do bits and pieces through the CIP, and continue to pursue the bigger picture. Um, it would make sense to us to, you know, have that uh, the fabric of that design in place to be responsive to it. And that that, that was one of the big drivers here. If any other questions at this point from commissioners? I think we'll go ahead and open it to public comment and bring it back to comment from the commissioners. Um, so this is a public hearing item. If any member of the public would like to speak on this item, um, you can go ahead and raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. Uh, there's no public comment on this item. May I think a lot very well. Bring it back to the commission for further discussion or comments. Vice Mayor Shipley, I, I, I thought uh, I thought Chris Tilden might make some comment, uh, particularly with uh, his his work with completing the loop and trails. I wonder if there are uh, maybe preferences is not a fair ask here. Uh, 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 or priorities maybe um, uh, for the groups you work for or where the intersection of uh, pedestrian and bicycle um, uh, assets are you know part of our priority. Vice Mayor Shipley, were you were you asking that question of me? Yes, I was. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, thank you for the opportunity to to present tonight. Um, 
you know, I, I'm excited to re-engage in the dialogue. I, I, I should have gone back to look. I think it's the alignment study that was uh, sponsored and uh, completed by the Metropolitan Planning Organization. I think now, now dates back to, if I'm not mistaken, 27 or 2018, and actually resulted, I think, in, um, in a community preference for an alignment along the railway tracks. But I think since that time, uh, additional work by MSO and others, uh, as Ken alluded to, have suggested that there are some real um, feasibility issues <laughs> associated with doing that. So, you know, I'm excited that we're once again, you know, at, at least examining what some of the alternative uh, opportunities might be. You know, I think the um, you know, utilization of existing infrastructure, like uh, a trail that could utilize a uh, part of the lower level of the parking garage, which either literally could potentially run through part of the garage or even potentially hang off the edge of the garage in the kind of the small forested space there, um, which really is an asset that I'm sure not many folks think about that as a forest, but there's a nice forested piece of property, you know, well above the railroad tracks uh, there next to the next to the garage. So I'm, you know, really excited that we have um, in the CIP, um, I think slated for 2025. Uh, at least a placeholder for financing the, the downtown section the year prior to that, you know, getting the current section from Hobbs Park down to the Santa Fe Depot. Uh, so I, I'm just appreciative that we're beginning that discussion, looking at some of the, you know, potential alternative alignments, given that that preferential alignment uh, highlighted in the MPO study is probably not one that ultimately is going to um, work well for the community. I hope that addressed your question. I think I'd, I'd add one more thing, uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, and that is I think part of, part of the, I think, concern around that alignment was because we were envisioning that it would likely then have to cross the railroad tracks at that um, unmarked um, crossing between Constant and Birchham Park. So I think the idea of something like the Helix, uh, which provides a mechanism to get the trail over into Birchham Park uh, without a conflict with, uh, with, the, with the rail line, I think is a real critical thing for us to consider as we move forward. Um, I just can't envision having a loop and that we're inviting people from our community to come visit that asset and then say, oh, except by the way, you know, be real careful at that, you know, unmarked, unsignalized uh, railway crossing, uh, which we, we know from experience has been problematic. This is Commissioner Bullock. I'd just like to say thank you to everybody who's worked on this. It's a pretty amazing product you've come up with, and we all have something to think about now, for sure. Uh, this, is, this is Michael Allman. If I could add a few observations here. 
Perfect. Go ahead, Michael. Okay, thank you. Um, Kent and Steve pretty well illustrated uh, how how complex and um, uh, energized this this whole process and project is, and why we spent more than a year and come up with any number of options uh, to consider whatever solution we might want to choose as a community. Um, and it's it's so apparent that there's so much going on in this part of Lawrence as it as it addresses and, and interacts with the river. You know, that's one reason why we called it riverfront and center. It's it's really the heart of Lawrence, as so many people really understand. There's just so much going on here. Um, so what we tried to do was rather than just consider, you know, a quick and dirty um, solution, so to speak, of the Lawrence Loop to connect from the Santa Fe station to Birchham Park and just punch something through somewhere, like the initial um, thought, just, well, just put it along the railroad track. Well, when we really got into it, it became apparent that there's so much going on that, you know, we can utilize that, as Kent puts it, so many assets. And um, the, uh, what am I trying to say here? The, oh, the, that once the, once the community does something like this, and we're not sure what form this might eventually take, but if we do something of this caliber and on this scale, and I surely hope that people in the community can envision what this would do for the riverfront. This would become, I mean, this would put Lawrence on the map. People would just flock to this. It wouldn't just be an occasional bicyclist or, or pedestrian walking along the loop. It would be, uh, <laughs> I mean, when you think of 22 miles of loop eventually co connected and completed and what that will do for its popularity, this would ratchet it up quite a bit more, more beyond that. And just keeping that in mind, uh, I think it was slide eight mentioned that all these trails would be a minimum of 10 foot width. That would have to be a bare minimum because um, if you know, this would be a long-term infrastructure project, particularly if you're building a bridge, but when you're putting something behind City Hall or the promenade, you're not going to want to come back in 10, 15, 20 years, you know, when the use rate has doubled or tripled and it's obviously under-engineered. It should be made at least 20 feet wide, in my opinion, probably 25 to allow space on the side for observations, uh, for pedestrians to be separate from the bicyclists. Uh, when you think of the kinds of bicyclists that will be taking a loop, if you look at some of these touring groups out on the county roads, there are 15, 20, 25 bicyclists in a flock, you know, all traveling together. 10 foot wide bicycle trail 
wouldn't handle that and the pedestrians would be in danger. So what we have here displayed is really uh, a concept design, a very well-developed concept, but those kind of details are gonna have to be worked out and understood um, you know, with further research by our team or some consultants that we hire, um, city engineers, whatever it's gonna take, um, this vision will really grow and it's gonna grow pretty much of its own impetus as far as I'm, I can tell. So thank you for the time allowing us to present this. Thank you, Michael. Other comments? Commissioner Nanda, I think you're about to jump in there before. I was. This is Commissioner Ananda. Um, I was. I was going to share my appreciation to Ken and Steve, um, and I, I think that they've talked to most of us, and um, I appreciate um, their tenacity, and not in a in a, in a way that is very much intended around um, the experience of this. I think that when we have talked about the riverfront, it's it's very mechanical. It's very, how do we get people from A to B? You know, how do we connect this? Um, and I appreciate that artistic element that I don't think all of us could bring to the table um, that certainly Kent brings um, in his team. So I, I really appreciate that. And I think that, you know, I'm not going to be on the commission when these decisions are made. Um, but I do know that interest in making our riverfront a place to be has consistently been growing. Um, since I've been on the commission, as we're talking about developments, you know, and expanding our downtown district, as we're talking about, you know, exciting activities for folks to do um, on the dam side of the riverfront and, and now this project. So I see this as eventually an inevitability that we will address this and access this. And I think that communities that have done that successfully um, have seen really good outcomes as a result of that, not just for the residents of that community, but for folks outside of that community. I think about like in Wichita, um, every time I go there, people are like, you wanna go down and see the statue? Um, it's it's the thing that you do in that community now. It's where you take your guests, it's where you take your visitors. And if we can expand that from downtown, then I, I think that's only gonna benefit us. So. I'm really excited and really happy to have received this presentation. I'm really excited and happy to see that, you know, um, it's not just a dream, but there's also the feasibility aspect that they're looking at and really asking the city to be a partner in this rather than a driver. Um, and I, I think that is to their benefit as well. So thank you for, for being here tonight and for presenting this. And um, I look forward to continuing this conversation. Mayor Finkel, I would echo, the, you know, the first time I saw this presentation, I don't know, seven or eight months ago, and it, and it reminded me today is, the first issue is like how actually difficult it is to access the river. I mean, when people say we want to access the river, you know, you have people on the street saying, yeah, let's do it. And then you actually, when you actually stop to try to think of how do you do that? Um, and then you start to, you know, um, place all of these features that exist and how you have to deal with each of those. That was the first thing that struck me when I saw this was, you know, this is a, a difficult um, situation that requires a creative and um, approach to, to resolve. And so I, I agree with what Commissioner Ananda was just saying that, 
you know, there's a there's a strong demand for access to the river. And if it was easy as just, you know, opening up a sidewalk to let people walk down to it, it would have happened a long time ago. But we have features we have to deal with. And, and, and this is a, a first step in a, in a concept of thinking how we, we can make some of those connections. And then, um, but again, from when I first saw this, a lot of work has been done, additional, um, you know, ideas have been brought forth. And so I appreciate that continued um, work and process. And I would assume as other people see this and have thoughts, um, we might see it to continue to, um, to evolve. Um, especially when you start talking about, you know, private partnerships with others that might have things that, you know, priorities that drive them as well, um, that might help us drive these, um, you know, to fruition. So anyway, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting concepts, many of which we, we certainly need to consider some obviously easier than others. Um, some of the, you know, the Oxbow or maybe those are, easier to approach, um, you know, through a, a more general sidewalk CIP approach with things like obviously the helix and, 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 and the things in the river, certainly going to take some grants and some other um, partners to make it happen. But I, I do see that it is something that could be a long-term driver and that we should continue to look at and explore and, and receive input from the community on and, and uh, you know, see what see what opportunities are out there. So I appreciate the work on that, and I hope you guys keep working on that and and, and keep improving it. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, yeah, thank you, Mayor. I'm not sure. I don't know. If, oh yeah, the I I actually I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I I think the there's a newer. Um, uh, iteration on here, which I'm, I'm not sure you weren't, uh, mentioning when you first saw this, which is, uh, this kind of stop off in the middle, uh, this orange one. Yeah. <laughs> I seem to remember you <laughs> perhaps suggesting something like that. Um, so, uh, there's a, a lot here, um, uh, as some have already said that I think, um, uh, speaks to a lot of our goals already, you know, it, it didn't actually occur to me until recently and speaking with the riverkeeper, uh, the friends of the car that, um, we really don't access this river that often. I know people who kayak, but I never have, uh, you know, I might visit the trails, but I, I've never gotten in and, and, and honestly, until the repairs to the dam happened uh, last year and I was fortunate to be able to walk down um, and, and see how that work was going on. I, I didn't know people climb down there and fish. I had no idea. I would, it would have never occurred to me to do that. Um, and that would be safer and more accessible uh, if we had, um, much better infrastructure here for us to access it. I mean, definitely played up more when I was younger that this is a river city and yet I've never gotten in the river. So um, I, I thought that was very interesting and educational for 
the Riverkeeper, Don Bueller, to, to teach us that this is a public asset. And even though we don't have access to it, we probably should have access to it. We absolutely can have access to it. Um, and I, I think that's what one of the things that's really interesting to me about um, some of the visioning that they've done here. Um, and another thing that um, I'm also very in always interested in is the the disconnection between North Lawrence and downtown. Um, uh, it is North Lawrence is often forgotten. And I think part of it often is its general disconnection um, because of the the way the the bridges operate. Um, they're not particularly bicycle friendly. They're actually a little scary for pedestrians, in my opinion. Um, and uh, we need to always remember that North, you know, North Lawrence is part of our downtown, and North Lawrence is part of our town. And that increasing that connection um, is valuable for a number of reasons. Um, so that's another thing that I found very interesting um, with this project. Um, the other thing, which I think is very low on, on this group's uh, priority list, um, I will say is uh, number 18, which is sort of this vague idea of a skywalk. Um, Number one, because it approaches uh, the park where Njuje Wahobe is, and we haven't really finished having that conversation with the Ka Nation. Um, but my interest in it is that that is a very difficult park to get to. And while other places may, you know, an underpass of, you know, a pedestrian underpass might make sense. And that close to the river, I just don't see how. But the idea of a really artistic way to get from uh, South Massachusetts across, you know, Sixth Street um, appeals to me. I, and while I'm aware it would require all kinds of ADA components, I'm in for it. And I, I'll be standing there with my personal money <laughs> uh, for, for things that connect all of Massachusetts, not just south of the river. So those are, have been some of the things that I've been interested in. I, I appreciate this group's not just doing all this incredible free design work, um, but also um, the amount of engagement that they've done um, with the public so far, um, getting new ideas and, and being open and rethinking uh, really the way we enter and exit one of the main gates of, of our town. So um, I, hope, I hope people in the public stop and think about this a little bit and try to reimagine an Imagineer, um, you know, something that we drive past two or three times a day, right? And just don't think too much of it. Um, try to look at it with new eyes and and as they say, go down there and, and notice the ways it's really not terribly navigable. Um, so I, again, I, I appreciate all the work um, that all the people uh, in this group have done. And um, I, really, I really appreciate um, the imagination and creativity.
You're very welcome. Yeah. May I figure out? Yeah, thank you very much. Can you go ahead and stop sharing your screen now? Um, just make sure. Um, well, thank you all for, for being here. I don't know if any final comments. You know, I know this is a, a, a presentation. I know you guys are continuing to work on it, and you've talked about a few next steps, and, and I'm sure hopefully this will um, generate more discussion among the community, and you'll get some more ideas and some more input, and we can continue, continue to, to watch this evolve. Commissioner Ananda? Yeah, this is Commissioner Ananda. I was just wondering if they had an email address or website, if folks were interested in engaging you, that they could reach you. Um, yes, on I believe it's the second or third page. Both Steve and I have our contact information. We'd be happy to engage with anyone that might have questions. And we, we certainly intend to, um, you know, at this stage, we have a fairly complete document for discussion. And uh, what, what we're happy to do is to continue to meet with people and, um, and talk about this publicly. We certainly hope tonight generates a lot of that. But um, the, for us, um, the, the big benefit for, for us is hearing from you all. I mean, it's great for us to make our presentation and we're very proud of it and, and happy to have done it. But um, the comments that we get in, in presentations like this are worth a million bucks. And uh, we certainly want to continue to do that and figure out a way. Maybe there's some, you know, some staff considerations for, you know, uh, more discussions with a smaller group of people about, gee, how can we do this? You know, how can we make this continue to move forward? And those are the discussions that I think would be really valuable for us. If there were a group of city partners that um, we could continue to meet with and, and brainstorm on public and private funding, um, some of the aspects of the design that may be low-hanging fruit that we could start thinking about um, looking at a five-year plan for. But um, personally, I want to thank everybody and uh, thank everybody on our team, too, that's uh, put a lot of energy and good vibes into this. So thank you all very much. Mayor Fingal, I thank you very much. And I, as you say, I think we'll continue this, this conversation and continue to get input from others. And hopefully there's some people out there listening or watching who also might have connections to grants, to, to funding, to public-private partnerships or the places that have done this in the past. I think those are all things we have to keep out ears and eyes open for. So appreciate that, that work and effort. Thank you. Thank you all for being here tonight. And um, we will move on to the next item on the agenda. Thank you. Um, and that is commission items. Do any commissioners have commission items this evening? I have one, which is um, Look out for some emails on, um, we're going to probably start Craig's um, evaluation. 
So you might have a session or two upcoming where we, we talk and then um, decide how we want to do that. So we'll look maybe to schedule that at least one in early October to kind of set a game plan and then um, go from there and try to finish that, um, you know, by the middle of November. So we'll get that process up and running. And that might include some five o'clock executive sessions if need be. If And so we'll again see if those will, they might not. So if not, they'll be at the end of the night. So we'll look for some emails on that. So other commission items. Seeing no other commission items, that takes us to the city manager's report, Craig. Uh, thank you, Mayor. And that was a great report, by the way. Um, I just want to start with that, um, that one that you just gave. Um, <laughs> now, the uh, the uh, five items that we have on the uh, city manager's report, um, the um, the first one is is an update on uh, really projects that, that has been worked on behind the scenes for probably a few years and compiling and updating all the different agreements and relationships we have with the uh, between the city and the county and um, this is the first kind of agreement that we um, we're coming up with it's 17 different agreements that we've kind of looked at uh, both the city and the county and understand come to a common understanding that these are these have passed their time they're no, no longer valid or um, they've been superseded and so we kind of jointly uh, agree to those things and um, now we'll be working on the ones that we know are still in place and that we may or may not want to make amendments to. And uh, we'll, we'll be bringing those to you in the next uh, few months, but it's been a really good conversation that we've been having uh, over this time to do that. The uh, second item uh, on there is just an update as we continue to evolve with um, trying to be responsive to the changes that COVID has brought. Um, we've made some adjustments and some experiments that have worked well, I think, support the business community. But as we continue to uh, see recovery in our economy and some changes, uh, there's we'll continue to make parking adjustments. And the one was the, the curbside to go parking uh, that we made an adjustment to after talking with some businesses out there. Um, the, the next one was just a follow up to say we're kind of probably looking at a six month uh, horizon for, um, you know, going back and doing some engagement with the decriminalization, that good conversation that we had last week. Um, we, we suggested some, you know, identifying some partners in the community that we can engage in those conversations. And we think that over the next six months, those will be some productive conversations. We're reporting back on that. Uh, the, the utility billing report and then the future items. Happy to answer any questions. May I have any like questions for Craig on those items? Seeing none, this is a public hearing item. Any member of the public would like to speak on one of those five items, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. There's no public comment on this item. Mayor Finkel, I'll bring it back to the commission. I would just say that appreciate your work on um in particular item number one there and sometimes there's a whole lot of work that goes into a very short commission item it looks like <laughs> you know it was an easy thing we just put on there but um there's a lot of work i know that went into that from you and your staff and so appreciate appreciate your work on that and in the work of the county on that and your and your partners over there so 
we're making progress and I appreciate that. Um, that any other comments on the city manager's report? If not, it moves to the calendar. Any questions on the the calendar? I, I had one quick question just because I saw it again. Did the LEAP Awards get canceled? I got a cancellation notice. It showed up here, but I hadn't seen any emails on that. Craig or someone? Are the LEAP Awards yeah, Kansas City Manager control. Craig Owens. Uh, yeah, we uh, we've unfortunately had to uh, push those back again. Um, so, okay. um, yeah, I hadn't seen anything except the calendar disinvite, so I didn't make want to make sure. Yeah, that just was updated this week. Okay. It was a personal mayor. <laughs> Thank you, um, Mayor Finkelai. Any other issues on the on the calendar? If not, I'd look for a motion to adjourn. Mr. Ananda, I move to adjourn. Mr. Bully, second. Mayor Finkelai, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Bully. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? I mean, Commissioner Lawson? Sorry? Aye. Uh, Mayor Finkelai, aye. Passes five to zero. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>